Ready for takeoff. <laughs> hey, this is Mr. Ruffles, and I just punched Sean Wu in the dumb stats. This is God, and I never listen to the Order 66 podcast because it has too much ungodly awesomeness for me to withstand it. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. Execute Order 66. This episode of the Order 66 podcast is brought to you in part by our sponsors GoDaddy.com and Buy.com, as well as the generous contributions of Laquarius Darius El Shabazz. Indeed, we're back. Episode number 84 the order 66 podcast we have we have many guests we'll we'll get to the guests first since they're really need no introduction first the man who types harder than any man i've ever heard in my life gm chuck well, <laughs> well when you know microphone is attached to the keyboard that's that's gonna happen i wondered I <laughs> not my fault <laughs> It's not my fault. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. Yeah, see, that's perfect. perfect. You told me they fixed it. (laughs) Um, And the other guy is, um, uh, yes, Sam Whitwer. Sup, ladies. (laughs) What's going on? D20 Zill. (laughs) And uh, they're both together. The the audio weirdness that you hear is that uh, GM Chuck and GM Sam are both together in a bathroom, and that's the only way they could make it work. At, at Chuck's house in Chicago. We like to uh, call it the bath cave. The bath cave. The ba- yeah, the bath cave. There you are. Yep. Anyway, I'm GM Dave, and uh, with me as always, GM Chris. What is up, Gamer Nation? Uh, for those of you who are uh, tuning in for the first time, this is the Order 66 podcast, the only podcast devoted to Star Wars Saga Edition role-playing. And uh, joining us is also, of course, to, to round out our, our bevy of voices on this fine episode the dulcet tones of Twi'lek goodness. Yes, uh, uh, D20's own hole, right, Chuck? <laughs> wow. Yeah, you'll oh, never nah, die. Only... That'll, that, you okay, see, and, but you see, this is not this is not known to the podcast community at large, but basically <laughs> the last time we had these two fine gents on the show, pre-show, we're talking about, oh, yeah, TG's coming on the cast and, you know, on a more regular basis and all that, and, 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 and Chuck goes, oh, so you're the hole. <laughs> yeah. and silence. I, 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 silence. Silence. Yeah. She's like, what Let's, did you call me? <laughs> let me explain. I said you'll be playing the part of the whole. I never implied. Oh. Uh-huh. Never yeah. implied. I, because yeah. she's role playing. And, and let's be honest, uh-huh. he was saying part of the whole person. Yes. That, right. that all women are. Yes, you, bring, right? you bring wholeness to the show. Of, yes. Of a Let's see. Like I'm trying to the next scene is not considered out. suitable for family viewing. <laughs> <laughs> get, get that warning out get immediately. Yeah, y'all are trying really hard to pull your feet out of your mouth. That's okay. No, I, I did not stick my feet in my mouth. I, if you looked in the forum, hold on. If you looked in the forums, I, I sent you the definition. Uh-huh. On, on Urban Dictionary, yes, yes. I made yeah. my case. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, okay. That's it. 
And I'm yeah. sticking by that case. But it's yeah. so much more fun just to call her the hole. <laughs> well, now that we understand what that means, what he meant by that, then we should call her the hole because it's not offensive, right? It's not. Yeah. It, it, it's... It's a well guys, understood. Guys, yeah, there, there, are, there are three sheets of plywall separating me from her, so I'm just going to back out of this conversation. <laughs> and, um, and, and, and you guys can, can do. She'll, she'll, Slowly dude, she'll back. You. Hey, she dude. She will find you. She you will won't. find you and she will hurt you. Hey, at least, at least if you make <laughs> her mad, you have like a week for her to cool off before you get back in town. <sighs> so. Uh, yes. Oh, by the way, Sam. Yes, sir. Happy birthday. Early. Ah, oh, yes. <gasps> That's right. No, 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 no. Wait, wait, wait. It was Cat. I just want you to know <laughs> it was Cat who told us that your birthday will be Tuesday. And so she sends you a very special message to tell oh. you that she wishes you a happy birthday. Oh, man. Yeah. Really? Well, thank you very much, Cat. I really appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, sugar. <laughs> <laughs> She's going to faint. I just want you to know that. <laughs> Um, uh, that's cool. yeah, yeah. Reminding me that I'm becoming old, old indeed, old and gray. Okay, yes. so now that cat is wet, and we can get onto the news. <laughs> <laughs> plenty, plenty of room in the bathtub over here. Oh. That's right. It's always wet in the bathtub. <laughs> My designation is KCK Sim, and this is your Hollow News Net update. Ah, uh, yes, that is so awesome. <sighs> that was just dripping in awesome sauce. <laughs> and other things. Um, <laughs> speaking of dripping in awesome sauce, uh, it's announcements time. And for those of you who may have missed last week, we had a marvelous announcement where we are proud to announce the, the welcome of, of three brand new podcasts to the D20 Radio Network. Um, mostly established podcasts. We, we have three great new podcasts. Uh, the first is The Power Source, uh, which is devoted to fourth edition D&D. Um, the, the, what, 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 did we, what did we say, Dave? The, the jelly to RFH's peanut butter? Yeah, she's, uh, they're the jam in, the, in RFH's jelly roll. Boom. Mm. Jelly. Je- ooh, mm, jelly roll. Chocolate <laughs> in my peanut butter. Uh-huh. Chocolate. You put chocolate in my peanut butter. But it's a great cast. Um, I'm actually, I'll say this on the air, I am amazed at their production quality considering it's episode two. Um, can can I suggest a name, cha- a name change for it? Instead okay. of Power Source, they should call it the Power Good Lord. She's getting getting so freaking excited that she's blowing out her mic. It's true. true. Oh, okay. Let me try it again. Where do you have that mic? (laughs) (laughs) In the hole? Wouldn't you like to know, Dave? In the hole. Oh, yeah. Yeah. In, out, in, out, in, out, in, out. Okay. So there is the power source, and uh, we also have a couple other new casts. Dave, I'm I'm, I'm rather excited about the next cast on our lineup. Uh, That would be Tweeko Cast. That uh, tweet TG says is a funny name. Mm-hmm. Tweeko, I love it. Tweeko. This week yeah. in Champions Online, Tweeko cast. So yeah, you know, dude, eight number eight is up, um, and we're learning all about the backstory of Doctor. Uh, <laughs> Doctor. Shh. Shh. <laughs> Doctor. Shh. Yeah, that guy. 
Very nice. And also, I'm proud to announce our very first literary podcast joins the network. Um, D20 Radio alum Clacky uh, brings us into the tentacle-infested and slimy world of H.P. Lovecraft with the H.P. Lovecraft Literary Podcast, which we lovingly refer to as Podcraft. Podcraft. Dude, last time we broadcast, they had 13 episodes up. 15 episodes are up right now. Um, and anyone interested in morning, learning more about H.P. Lovecraft and his work, which has been the inspiration for a great deal of fantasy and other, other RPG fodder, should tune in. It, it is an education and a half. It should be called Love of Podcraft. Love of Podcraft. <laughs> the new MMO to go with the WWE MMO that was, by the way, mentioned on City of Doors that we forgot. Yeah, um, yeah, uh, apologies, yeah. apologies to the City of, Door- City of Doors crew, we, uh, we kind, of, kind of forgot to mention that last week, yeah, yeah, nice work, you know why, right. you suck, that's why, I know, oh, 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 H-Pod Lovecast, Look, man, I'm just I'm just trying to deflect. I'm just trying to get you away. I'm just trying to save you, man. Uh, Dude, it, it's okay. It's okay. But uh, C- City of Doors, episode five is out. Uh, episode five, the one with the headlock. Um, Hov and Brian walked Fantasy Walk uh, before Hov and Documentary Girl do actually give us an overview of all that is body slam-tastic with the WWE RPG. Yo. Uh, oh, yeah. You're kidding, right? You better right? start one those 20s. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta love it. Mm-hmm. Got to love it. Yeah. And what else? Did we, we, we had one other cast come up this week? Uh, old School Shibuda actually got a small but vicious uh, podcast. And I shouldn't say actually. I mean, they do. They do. I'm just saying actually there is another podcast that has come up in the last few days. And it happens to be small but vicious with the first and special episode. A very special episode. That's right. The, they they interview Steve Darlington. He is the man that built the Darlington International Speedway. Uh, I, I don't. I don't think so. No. Okay. So he's not the NASCAR guy then. No. Oh, no. Okay. In that case, this is be the Darlington that is the writer for the Warhammer Fantasy RPG, which is you know, I mean, as it happens, I guess it's it's kind of a good thing since they're about the Warhammer Fantasy RPG. RPG. Yeah. Yeah. That, I would say that's a pretty uh, a pretty stoked interview to get. Um, kudos to them. <laughs> Heck yeah, man! It's like the equivalent of Rodney Thompson coming on our tis, show. you know, that's tis. Just, that's just fantastic. I, just say, I haven't talked to Rodney in a while, and I just want to put it out there, dude. How are you? Emails me. He still he. Last time I heard, he wasn't speaking to you for like a month because you stood him up. Oh, mm-hmm. wait. What are, what did I do again? What? Yes. What? Yep. Yeah. He's something. scorned. Scorned. He's already. Was... For, see that, Rod? He's already forgotten about it. Oh, yeah. the the Disneyland. Th- yeah. No, that was work. Man, yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Work. Yeah, sure. work. I was out of town, man. That's what? Fine. What? He understands. You know, that's why he understands. Speaking of being out of town, if you guys are going to be out of town, November thirteenth through the fifteenth, and you want to go somewhere that's going to be greatness and gaming goodness, you need to make your way down to the beautiful Five Points area. Okay, not the Five Points area, but outside Little Rock, Arkansas, <laughs> uh, Little Rock Game Con, two thousand nine, <laughs> November thirteenth. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, November 13th through the 15th at the Wyndham Hotel and Resort in North Little Rock. Um, 
It's going to be a great con, and D20 Radio's own Zarissa will be there. And uh, again, there's also going to be a wonderful auction going on that the local 501st is putting on, where you can win a signed copy of the Galaxy at War uh, campaign guide and a replica Stormtrooper blaster. That's right. And it's important to note that this is North Little Rock, where the family trees actually have branches. That's true. <laughs> is that a genuine replica or a replica replica? I, I don't. I, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> hey, speaking of, of cons, I just want to say that I was at Gen Con Australia, and uh, it was awesome. And there were Order 66 listeners there. And what's up to my Australian brothers and sisters? And what's up, Ian? And also, speaking of cons, I wanted to say, CON! <laughs> Thank you. Thank Are, you. Now, how that. did you know that there were Order 66 listeners there? Because they went up and said, "I never, or, I never listened to the Order Six party." You know the thing you said. Yeah, we've we've wow. seen we've seen how successful <laughs> you've been at that. Yeah, you know the thing. What I like to tell Sam is, it's all in the delivery. <laughs> <laughs> the delivery was perfect. The words just yes. weren't there. <laughs> <laughs> the conviction was was excellent. Yes, I really meant it. I just didn't know what I was saying. Very nice. Wow. Oh wow. So that is all the news that's fit to print or speak over the air. Yes. And uh, Luke Lowbrow actually has uh, told me that family comes before the podcast, and so uh, he's been canceled. Yeah, we we don't have room. We don't have we don't have room for people that put family before their podcast. You know. Yeah, yeah. Cancel the children before you cancel the podcast. That's right. Hey, you need need to know where your priorities are. Okay. Yeah, that's right. No, we're kidding. He'll he'll be back next week. He just. He had family stuff and other stuff and other, other stuff, and so he got us one for Wednesday, but he couldn't do two, you know, and that's fine. We'll have him again next week, I promise. Slacker, slacker, not a slacker, not a slacker. Slacker, what? Docking Bay hosers. When it don't be making sense, we be making sense of it. Well, hey, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. We got some questions, eh? Hey. Hey. Well, we have some fine minds here to help us decipher some of them. And, of course, if you guys have any questions you'd like us to answer on the podcast for the D20 Docking Bay, you can, of course, uh, give us a call. We had a couple wonderful calling questions last week. Dave, did we have any calling questions this week? Yes, we did, as a matter of fact. And uh, we will get to them here in just a moment. It's a question about move object. Eudemus. All right, well, 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 hit us up, man. What questions we got? All right, first, <clears throat> Zulu 3 Delta or a Z3D on the forums, um, has a question about some unusual armor. Or armor, Are you ready for that? Hit me up. Okay. So he says, let's talk about the biohazard suit from Galaxy at War. These things have an armor modifier and max dex listed as negative. And it's, just, it's, a, it's a dash. Dash, okay, negative, dash, whatever. <laughs> dash. So it's not a negative, right? It's dashing. Yeah, you gotta you gotta think more positive. It improves your charisma. Yeah, you are dashing. (laughs) So it's a positive dash. 
We're sure it is. Yes. Okay, great. Okay, I ran into this last night in my game when a player put one on to go into a quarantined lab. I played it as the dash means ignore this aspect of the armor. And the player got his level bo- his level bonus to reflex defense and retained his full dex modifier. However, that does make a biohazard suit a no-brainer for someone willing to sacrifice their speed. Okay. So, a plus three fortitude defense and immunity to airborne toxins. What's not to love? What do you guys think? Should it be ignore or plus zero? Uh, so... Uh, it's a good question. Well, for those following along at home, uh, the Biohazard Suit is page 44 of Galaxy at War. And it's a pretty cool piece of gear. To answer your primary questions, uh, Z3D, though no official clarification has been made, I don't know think one's needed here. I think the implied intent is that the, the dash should simply be that it provides zero benefit. In other words, it doesn't have an armor bonus. It doesn't have a dex, you know, a max dex. Um, now, page 145 of the core rulebook, which outlines the formula we all know and love for calculating reflex defense, is very clear that you add an armor's armor bonus to your reflex defense instead of your heroic level, unless you have certain talents, of course. Now, in this case, the biohazard suit literally has no armor bonus. It's not a plus zero, it has no armor bonus. So your heroic level still should apply. The same could be said of the often used flight suit from the core rulebook. So, is this a no brainer? Not really, man. I mean, look, the biohazard suit is called out as medium armor. That means you got to have medium armor proficiency to even wear it without a minus five penalty to just about everything you do. Anyone but a soldier would need to burn two feats to get it at that point. There's also the speed reduction issue. As you point out, medium armor, you're limited to four squares. But okay, so what? So what's to stop a low-level soldier from just throwing one on? Well, a few things. First of all, the price tag, which at four grand ain't cheap. The toxin immunity is also nice, but it only lasts for an hour before you got to change things out. And lastly, and most importantly, and I can't stress this enough, you're walking around in a biohazard suit! Okay? Totally. Look, it's it's not stretching logic or Star Wars continuity to see a hero walking around in a flight suit, okay? We saw that in the the cantina, all right? But but if, if you're sitting down in the cantina in a full biohazard suit, as a GM, rock falls, everyone dies, okay? I will slap the hell out of you. What character would do that? Who, who wouldn't feel totally awkward and moronic walking around in that fracking thing? Listen, from, from a, from a role-playing perspective, I just think it's a little silly. And I understand there are munchkin players out there who, I don't care, my character's going to wear it. Oh, well, I don't care, your character's going to die. <laughs> in real life, those are those people you see in the supermarket that have the gas masks. Yeah. <laughs> and we, we think they're pretty lame. The and we got their number. The yeah, the SARS people, the SARS folks. Yes, yes. So I, I I don't know guys guys gal what is what is y'all's opinion of this? Yeah. Sars. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So full on gamer has a question about. Uh... <laughs> moving on. <laughs> yeah, moving on. <laughs> did, did, I, did I clear the air on that one? Sorry. <laughs> you yeah. uh, you cleared the room on that one, dude. Yeah. That's Kinda fine. Like your All right. Oh. Hey, you know what? Oh. I, you know what I you know what I forgot um, I forgot to mention. Actually, I was going to mention, but then I decided to be a little childish because uh, there's a uh, there's a new episode. Usually, we don't like tease episodes that are forthcoming, but Fiddleback wants us to tease an episode of Game On that's coming up, but he won't tell me who the guest is. So I decided I wasn't going to tease it. Oh, so you're being childish. So I decided that all right, because I forgot something else. Like the Holocron got an episode up yesterday. Oh, yeah. 
Okay, so there's been like a couple of new planets and some other stuff come up for uh, among the beta announcement and all that. The, the uh, uh, <coughs> not the beta announcement, the game testing announcement. Um, therefore, Fiddleback still has not won because it was not a beta testing uh, announcement. Um, so the game testing um, announcement thing came up and uh, some other stuff for the Holocron. And so, yeah, you all listen to the Holocron and then listen to Game On, which the secret apparently will be revealed at some point in time as to who the actual guest is. And I can't hear anybody. No, we're just letting you talk. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm sitting here going, why did, why did you bring this up now? Why, why, why didn't you bring it up like in the announcement section when we had all the other like announcements? Because I forgot. I mean, I had it. I even had a note written on my screen here in my show notes, and I still forgot it because, well, you know, Sam and Chuck just have this effect. <laughs> That's right, baby. They do. We can ask Cat about that. You're not yeah. even in the bath cave, and you feel it. That's right. <laughs> well, to be fair, the bath ca- the bath cave is an effect amplifier. Yes, indeed. Cat is yes. sitting somewhere, sitting listening to the show. Actually, she slid off her chair by now, and. <laughs> She's still going to kill me. I want y'all to know this. (laughs) I'm going to be dead tomorrow. So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you are. (laughs) And I'm not going to be here. I'm going to be in Atlanta. (laughs) Oh, wow. Look look at Echo Base. Cat has a very nice little note for us. Oh! (laughs) Wow. Oh, boy. Okay, so... uh, Uh, Next question. um, Yeah. uh, Yeah. What was I what was I saying? Oh yeah, it was like um full on gamer, dude. Full on, what was full on gamer's question? Okay. Full on gamer. The BBC would like to announce that the next scene is not considered suitable for family viewing. Oh yeah, I figured I'd throw that in there again one more time just Good idea. Just because you Just know. to be safe. Anybody yeah, but... who's not like 18 at least and 20, maybe 24 and female, don't listen. <laughs> just turn it off right now because it's just going to get worse. Cheers. I'm even going to mark this so, one explicit. Okay. So, full-on gamer. <laughs> <clears throat> uh, yeah, what about full-on gamer? Yeah, I don't know. You've tried three times now. Can, 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 you, can you have a question? The dude's like uh, like a lieutenant colonel now, you know? Did you know that? He got I, I, don't, I don't think so, but but uh, he is he is in the armed services and serving overseas currently, yes. Yes, he is. And uh, <clears throat> Okay, wait wait a second. He had a, he had a question regarding uh, a force power. Yes, he did. Why okay. don't you go ahead and read that for us? So, uh, he says... Uh, well, Hold your horses, Mr. Snooty. <laughs> hey, 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 hey. It's the effect, okay? Oh, my God. It's the effect. I'm getting subliminal messages right now from Sam and Chuck going, dude, speed this up so we can talk, huh? So, huh? Sublim- what the hell, man? What the hell? No, no, we're loving it. Yeah. Make it happen. All right, bathroom duo. Here's a double question <laughs> regarding the inertia power of the Jedi Academy training manual. Are you limited to only walls as specified in the power? Or can any portion of that movement also be on inverted surfaces such as ceilings for the full Keanu effect? Whoa. Okay, since it specifies enabling you to ignore the normal effects of gravity, does it therefore allow you to overcome the effects of either low or high gravity environments? So... Can you use this power to give yourself a semblance of normal gravity in a zero-g area? I believe these are suitable and cinematic applications of this power. However, I want to get your take. Cool. Uh, It's Um, called inertia. You're saying it can create gravity as well? 
Because I'm not sure about that one. Yeah. Well, okay. F- first off, for those following along, page 27, Jedi Academy Training Manual. Turn to it. It's where Inertia is. Um, many people think this is like an interesting alternative to Surge. It basically lets you run up walls, okay, instead of jumping. Um, you can also use it in creative ways to like bypass hazards and stuff. Now, full on to your question and kind of to Sam's point, if I were reading a strict raw interpretation, I would say no. The power specifies walls, and the reference to ignoring the normal effects of gravity, which it says in the wording, are clearly meant to elucidate that you can run along a wall without falling down. Now, Sam, ha- having yeah. said that, in, in my game, if a player wanted to use this ability as full-on described, I would have zero problem with it. In fact, I would probably suggest it. Um, I just think it's really fitting with the power and very rule of cool to race along a ceiling. Okay, As long as you still fall at the end of your movement, as long as you're not on the ground, that's no big deal. All right. this is are, a, you, are, are, are you freaking kidding me? You would allow him to create gravity in a zero-G environment? Come on, seriously? I haven't gotten to that point yet, buddy. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, you just said as he's... <laughs> but talk, as he but talking about racing along the ceiling, okay. Sure. There, they're, 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 that that is fine. Now, yeah, that'd be cool. That's that's for, that rule for, of cool. Like that's very cool. But as for negating zero g effects, it's a little more shaky. But here's my here's my thing. Okay, I'm gonna err on the side of the player always. Okay, first of all, this is only for a single move action. It's not like you're gonna turn this on all encounter. So I kind of be cool with it. Furthermore, zero g situations don't happen exactly a whole lot. Uh, so I'm just it's it's not that big a deal for me. And I wouldn't say so much as creating gravity, but running along the edge of a surface so fast that you don't fly off of it. I'd be cool with that. That's right. I think I'd be okay with that. Yeah. Like, in a circumstantial basis, if, if you think about the effects of inertia, if you say you're hurling yourself at a wall and your inertia, you know, when you think of it in purely physics sense, your inertia would carry you, you know, along there. Like you said, I think for a, a cinematic or for a moment in time to achieve something, I... I don't know that I would be against that. Although I'm not a GM, I'm just a player. So what the hell does anything I say matter? <laughs> for that moment in time, the game is broken, dude. Broken. It's okay. broken for that moment. Yeah. You now, now this 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 special um, talent feat, whatever it is. Force power. Force power. Okay, you're not really manipulating the environment around you. You're just manipulating yourself. That would be this cr- sounds like so. I think you should be able to use it in zero gravity because it's not about the environment around you. It's about how you can control yourself in the environment you're in. Yeah, and in I, the environment I, that you're normally in, you can only walk on the floor. But if I'm using this talent, then I can walk along the walls. But if I'm in zero g, then I can do whatever it is that I need to normally be able to do that zero g wouldn't let me. Yeah, to me, it's saying the same thing. It's saying in zero, zero G, I walk along the walls as well for that moment in time. If I can do it in gravity, I should be able to do it in zero G as well. Even though it's not rules written, I actually, I actually would allow that. Because well, it's Sa- about what you can do, not what the environment around well, you is. Right. S- Sam sounds like he's preparing for a disagreement. Uh, what I'm, I mean, dude, I'm, I'm, I'm with Sam. I'm with Sam. Actually, it says I, ignore you know, the effects of gravity. My heart has been opened. By their, their arguments, my heart has been opened. I think I might allow it. Since it is, of course, you know, just one moment, you know, where they want to mess my game up for just one moment. <laughs> it's just like, you know, I work so hard on preparing these <laughs> encounters. My whole campaign exists in zero G. <laughs> no, I don't know. It's it's cool. It's I, you know. I but I think I think to what Kath says, it's not like you're turning on gravity suddenly and everything stops. You're just manipulating yourself, you know, just as you would in regular gravity. You should be able to do the same thing. If you're not affected by gravity, you're not affected by no gravity, I guess. Wait, wait, wait. Chuck, yeah. did you just call me cat? Holy crap. Oh. Wow. Oh. 
<laughs> like it's very flattering because Cat wow. is a wonderful person and I absolutely love her. But I'm teaching. Dave. Right. Oh my Dave. God. It's not in fact her. Dave. First you call me a Dave. hole and then you call me Cat. <laughs> Dave, yeah. I need you to bring me the chloroform. Man. Cat hole. Just to get it straight. Wow, that my apologies. I didn't even catch that. I was looking at you know, a cat. I, I need guess. the chloroform, Dave. <laughs> wow. Freudian slip. Dave. <laughs> what kind of slip? <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> Where's that BBC warning again? <laughs> uh-huh. Well, the, huh. BB, the BBC warning, <clears throat> yeah, we, we, uh, um, I think we've, we've beaten that. Yeah. No yeah. British guy can warn anyone about what we're doing now. Yeah. <laughs> even, right. even John Cleese's voice cannot save us. No. Yeah. This, this, British guy. No, there's no way. There's no, no. way. The cat <laughs> hole is sufficiently wet that we will never have traction on this show. <laughs> wow. The cat hole's open. Can't be closed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just, you know, a little wisdom. Whatever. Deal with it. <laughs> okay, so um, oh. Oh. Uh, TG apparently is having microphone issues again. And um, yeah. map maker extraordinaire now, uh, Chris, Christopher West, has a question uh, from his oh. home game. That guy's cool. Yeah, it's yes, nice. he is. Okay, so yeah, all-around cool guy. That's right. So a player in my group has a Jawa Jedi. All right, I need to stop right there. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, he recently approached me with an interest in making his weapon a dual phase saber. Can a Shoto lightsaber be made into a dual phase weapon? And if so, how much, if any, should I adjust the length of the blade on its longer setting? What restrictions should be placed on a small character attempting to use such a weapon. I'm tempted to rule that a dual phase shoto simply switches into a normal length light shaber, thus giving the small wielder some versatility in his uh, damage treatment. So, when wielding two handed, make it a normal size. When you need a free hand, make it shoto sized. Shoto. Shoto. Yoto. Yoto. Okay. But I don't want to cheat the player out of his zany fun. And I know that for him, size does matter. He As finds the idea of, of a little Jawa with a massively long light shaber entertaining. <laughs> I just don't know quite how to handle it. Ah. But it's fun. Well, handling your saber isn't something that comes natural to everyone. That's right. <laughs> no, it's true. It's oh, that's not what he was asking. But. Especially no, a saber quite. that grows when you touch it. <laughs> Shut up. Shut up. Well, if you guys still have your Jedi Canual training manuals, Jedi Academy training manuals out, you can go ahead and flip to page 51, where you can find the entry for the dual-phase lightsaber. Now, the entry notes that a dual-phase lightsaber is a normal-sized lightsaber that can have their blade basically extended as a swift action, giving the wielder an extra square of reach at a penalty of a minus two to their reflex defense against melee attacks that are adjacent to them, because obviously they have a harder time blocking with the lightsaber. The Shoto, or the short lightsaber, on page 123 of the core rulebook is basically just a small lightsaber. It deals 2 die 6 of damage instead of 2 die 8, and it can be wielded much more easily by a small character. Probably the most famous wielder was, of course, Yoda. Boom. Yoda. 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 Uh, so, 
To start with, uh, Chris, let's just say that a dual phase Shoto is not raw. It's not rules as written. The dual phase saber description in Jedi Academy training manual notes that it is a standard lightsaber. But I really think that's a tad restrictive and not fun at all. I see absolutely no sense in that, that the same dual phase technology could not be applied to a Shoto. So I say do it. Um, yes. As, 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 as to how to do it, the notion of simply changing the Shoto into a full-side saber, that's a decent idea, and I don't think it's game-breaking at all, but, but it, it seems to me to go against the intent of dual phase, which is not to increase damage, but to increase reach. Now, um, for example, a medium Jedi with a dual phase saber, when he extends that thing out, it doesn't deal 2 die 10. He doesn't have a great saber in his hands all of a sudden, so I don't think your Jawa should get 2 die 8 out of his Shoto. Um, the, the intent was to give lightsaber reach. And I think that's totally appropriate, even for a Shoto. A Shoto that can suddenly spring into a three-meter blade is funny, and it's fun, and frankly, so is his character concept. Um, so, dude, I'd, I'd go with it as written. I'd keep the damage at 2 die 6 though, but that's, that's yep. my opinion. What, what do you guys think? I mean, yeah. do you see problems with either one of these? How, how, how would you guys run it? Don't see a problem with that. Yeah, I don't see a problem with that. That works. Shoto. 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 Alright, so there's a question in Echo Base about what is Yoda's race. And Lewin Sewell respond, responds by saying, Yoda was a Yoda. <laughs> like Yoda or, is or a race. yodeler. Another yeah. great answer. The yodeler. Swedish, maybe. <laughs> Swedish. I've actually done some research on that. I knew you had. That's why I brought it up. Yeah, it, it's, it's unidentified at this point. Um, and that, that comes, that's canon. Uh, it is unidentified. People thought they were the Wills for a long time, but that is incorrect, and that's been confirmed by Lucas. No one really knows what they are. They have been referred to again and again as Yoda's race. Um, and I think there's only three or four instances of uh, one of that, remember, of race in canon, like Yoda, Yaddle, um, Master Vandar from KOTOR, and one other that was in a comic, I think. So, yeah. Yes. Why the hell do I know that? Oh, that's <laughs> good. It's like, good. Just like oh. a Wookiee with a yellow lightsaber, we may never see it again. <laughs> I know. It's true. There will be no more Jedi Wookiees, according to uh, King George. Wait, why? Why is that? I don't know. That's what he said. Wait, who said this? George. George. When? When did he say it? Uh, after the last book, when the last one like died or something. Oh, he didn't mean it. He didn't mean it. All right, you talk to him about that, man. Yeah, give him a call. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, give him a call. I'm gonna start stop working by, on the. Stop by for brunch when you're in LA, okay? Sure. Yeah. Sure. You know, I mean, you do that good impersonation of him anyway. So, uh, let's not talk about that. Okay. <laughs> 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 okay, let's not. All right, I have a question that okay. came in via the phone line, and uh, it's from Yazzie. Okay. Hey, this is Yazzie, and I was having a question about move object. In the description, it says that you can move any object in, like, in any direction. I was wondering if you can move someone upward, like lifting them into the air. Yes. And having him stay in the air yes. over periods of rounds. Cause yes. It says you can I do it all the time. a certain amount of time. Yes. Yeah. Also, yes. I was wondering if, it, if any of your allies shooting them give a, a disadvantage or an advantage to fighting someone who's floating in the air. That's my question. Yes. Hope you can yeah, we, we actually have an example this, of that. This happened in our game. Okay, so early on, um, uh, the boys faced this uh, sort of uh, giant squid droid. And, <laughs> yay, man, you know what I'm saying? 20,000 leagues. 20, leagues in space, man. Right. So 
And all of these tentacles with all these tool tip attachments and stuff like that, it was used for maintaining a giant hyperdrive, right? Um, and so they got into a fight and, and all these tentacles were lashing out at all the players. Well, and they were warned by an NPC that in a similar ship, they found two of those things. And so they, they thought nothing of it went on. So later, much, much later in the adventure, they were uh, on a tram in this same giant spaceship and, they, and uh, another one dropped down from the ceiling and started uh, scampering after them with his various appendages flailing all over the place. And the Jedi, remembering how, how much those tentacles were a pain to deal with, how you know, they all just kind of attacked everyone, he picked it up with move object and suspended it in midair beyond its tentacle reach. And then everyone just opened fire. Yeah, on. behind the tram. So basically, as we're moving, like holding mm -hmm. it at that position. Yeah, they and were on a tram and they were trying to speed the tram up to get away from it. And while they were trying to run away from this thing in the tram and uh, putting full speed on the tram, the Jedi suspended this damn thing in midair and the thing couldn't reach them. And so, and they just mulched it. Yeah, and I, I think to Sam's benefit, I mean, I think we were granted some sort of, you know, bonus in, in firing. Yes. Again, not necessarily rules as written, but. I believe I gave them uh, a favorable circumstance plus two bonus. I mean that. Yeah. yeah my, I could have been more generous, but that's what I did. That's, and, that's, and I, that's good to go. I think that totally works. Yeah. yeah. In in terms of the the actual mechanics caller, um, um, <clears throat> the, the, these guys are dead on. That's kind of pretty much how it works. You can maintain this from round to round. Just keep in mind, you got to main to maintain it. You have to make a new use of the force check each round, which you could potentially fail, and. It can still act normally, even though it's being suspended. Now, in the case of a, of a droid like this, where it's melee only, it's kind of hosed. But if you're holding somebody in there and he's got a gun, he can still shoot you. And if you take damage while you're maintaining, you have to make a reactive use the force check, DC 15 plus the damage taken, or you lose the power. You lose the maintaining. And even for a, a piddly-ass blaster pistol, you're going to average nine points of damage. That's DC, you know, what, what, 24 use the force check? That's, you know, that's not always easy. So, um... Right. You know, just something, something else to think about. Also, remember, according to the errata, if you deal damage with this power, if you slam him into something or someone or something else, it ends immediately. So, right. I think Yazzie uh, threw out a question in the chat room about can you continue moving him up each round? Yeah. I, I, I would, yeah. I mean, I would weigh in and say there, there's going to be some practical limit to that. Well, there's just as a player, I, I wouldn't. Yeah, there's a range to the power. There, there, and, there is. It's yeah. twelve. It's twelve squares. I mean, if you're going right. rules as written, they still have to be within those twelve squares. Yes. But that's that's about it. But you can you can calculate what that is in meters, and then if you want to drop them, you know that it's going to cause some damage. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But I but I think there's you 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 know I think that's a reasonable limit. I don't think uh, the question he had the chat was, you know, can you go to like twenty four squares or whatever? I, no, I don't think so. No, it's, now, what, it's, now what you can do, and which is often the case, is you're somewhere where there doesn't happen to be any railings, but a really, really empty pit. <laughs> you just pick them up, happens. move them, and drop them. Yeah. Oh no, never. In no. no, that no, that doesn't happen. Not not with the the empire's uh, new budget increases. Right. They started putting <laughs> yeah. railings on things. Yeah. The, exactly. The OSHA came in, and the whole place has changed. It's, it's unionized now. Right. Yeah. When we ran, um, TG, you were up. You were up at Reaper last month when we when I ran the the Eye of Rishi module, the legacy module I wrote for Gen Con, and mm -hmm. uh, they took out one of the BBGE's underlings, a really nasty dark force user, because the Jedi happened to roll uber high, beat the guy's uh, will. He'd already used his rebukes. He was out of force points, and he yeah got picked oh, up yeah. and hurled into a bottomless abyss. Wow, okay, that was really quick. That was two <laughs> hours of crumple, work crumple, on an crumple. NPC. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
but but no, I mean, like to, to you guys' point, what you were saying is in terms of att- of getting a bonus to attack somebody who's being suspended like that, dude. I, I agree with these guys. I think a circumstance bonus is entirely appropriate. If you want to go really hardcore, one could argue that they would be uh, flat-footed because they obviously yeah. can't, can't take advantage of their dexterity. That's um, a good point. You know, but uh, but even then, I, I don't know. People can still wriggle around and stuff. I I think I think a circumstance bonus is brilliant. So, yeah, mm-hmm. fantastic, fantastic. Well, thank you guys for the calling questions. Um, for those of you who would like to call in, you can of course give us a call at the Lusa line two zero six six zero zero five eight seven two. And you're also welcome to email us questions at uh, gmchris at d twenty radio dot com, gmdave at d twenty radio dot com, goodness at d twenty radio dot com, and you can also get to the website at d twenty radio dot com slash forum. Sign up, become a member of the Gamer Nation, and get your voice heard. Yeah. Okay. So, um, let me ask you this. Mm. Did y'all see the other question that came up? Because I had to walk away from the mic for like 10 seconds. Um, what was that? There was another question that came into the chat room. And um, I, uh, Destiny Point, acting out of turn, what does that mean? Does it ah. mean a single swift standard move action? Basically, you're, you're taking another turn, a full turn, and it, uh, it does it rearrange you in the initiative order? Yes, it does. Yeah, it does, yeah. That's, so that's exactly what it does. Yeah, you're, you're jumping back into initiative at a different place by acting again. Mm-hmm. And you, can only, normally, you can only do this once per encounter. That's been clarified yeah, in the errata. And, and normally, you know, you burn, a, you burn a destiny point to act again right after your previous turn, so it doesn't really change Often. you in the, yeah, in the initiative Often, order. Often, yeah. So uh, usually, like Dave says, you're just taking one turn right after the other. But if I'm at initiative count 15 and my turn's over and, oh, I'm spending a destiny point to go again, well, then I'm now at initiative count 14. And I will remain that way for the rest of the encounter. Right. So. And maybe the rest of your life. Maybe. Yeah. Quite, think quite, carefully before doing Quite probably. Yes. You exactly. might, yeah. All right, so we're going to take a little break for Alex and Trevor, who uh, were not slacking and managed to get us their bit. In oh! Oh! <laughs> yeah, Fragments wow. in the Rim. And we'll be back in just a couple of minutes with more goodness from the bathroom. Bat, bat cave. Welcome, Jedi Masters, to Fragments from the Rim. How may we be of service to you today? Hi, this is Alex. And Trevor. This is segment number 32 of Fragments from the Rim. For this segment, I've chosen to talk about Guiding Strikes talent from the Rebellion Era Campaign Guide. It says, when you deal damage to a target by making a lightsaber attack on your turn, you can use a swift action before the end of your turn to activate this talent. If you do so, allies adjacent to the target at the time you made the attack, gain a plus two circumstance bonus to melee attack rolls against that target until the start of your next turn. It's often difficult to find a really good use for your swift action. This talent gives you a really good application of it, provided, of course, that you have other members of your party or other allies that are also melee combatants. And if you also think about the fact that you're having melee combat anyways, there's a good chance you could position yourself to get the flanking bonus. And if you're a Togruta, you can also get the flanking bonus damage. Over to you, Trevor. And today I'm going to talk about the Starships from the Galaxy book in sort of general. I'm running the Dawn of Defiance game for my son and wife and my son's friend. And we've gotten to the module, I won't give any spoilers away, where there's going to be some airspeeder combat followed by some space combat. So I decided that maybe I should pick up the uh, Starships of the Galaxy book because I hadn't gotten to this point. And the first thing that I noticed is that um, it's uh, out of print. 
So if you go to Amazon or uh, any of your Barnes and Nobles or anything, not the store itself, but online, you'll find that they don't have it in stock. And the Chapters, which is the Canadian equivalent of Amazon, was um, selling it for $225 used. You may want to search those shelves of your gaming stores for a copy and grab it while you can, especially if you can grab it at uh, retail, like I was able to find at my uh, friendly neighborhood gaming store. Now, I'm giving the book a quick glance, and I really like the format of the book and the fact that they've done a good job of, at the beginning, when they talk about talents in starships and feats in starships, they give you clarification regarding rules that may be misinterpreted, either erroneously or on purpose. So they've they've clarified how those things work in a space environment. And the other cool item that they added is the whole idea of maneuvers. Now, GM Dave and Chris did go into some length about the fact that the maneuvers are sort of the pilot's equivalent of a force power and the fact that you have a suite of them that you gain every time that you take the Starship Tactics feed and that you burn them as you go through combat. They're really, really nice. They add a great flavor to a starship battle. The only concern is is that in order to have a character who actually takes them, you're going to have to play in a campaign that focuses a lot on starship combat because you've got to burn a feat to get the uh, starship maneuvers, and feats are very precious. If you're going to play a starship campaign... I think this book is really, really good, especially for the fact that it has over uh, 100 pages of all the different ships from the different eras, be it KOTOR or Legacy or Rebellion Era or Clone Era. All in all, I think it's an excellent book, but I think it is focused primarily for people who are definitely going to be doing some sort of starship combat as a primary factor of their Star Wars Saga Edition game, not as a one-off that you may have every once in a while. If if you are only going to have a one-off, the rules in the core rulebook are more than sufficient for your needs. Anyways, if you have any questions or comments, please uh, send Alex or I an email at order66 underscore fragments at rogers.com. And until next time, have fun gaming. Thank you, Masters, for visiting Fragments from the Rim. Post show? (laughs) (laughs) It's not time for that yet. Yeah. Oh, yeah, right. Okay, that's that's true. I forgot. (laughs) Thank you, uh, Trevor and Alex. Of course, gentlemen. Thank you, as always, for being... Those guys are great. They are. They're awesome. They're just always there. They're like a machine. Yes. (laughs) Like a machine. They can't be reasoned with. They can't they be pity will or remorse. And they will not stop <laughs> until you are dead. Dead. D E D dead. Dead dead. All right. Sad, so, sad, uh, oh, no. <laughs> so come, come with me if you want to live. Tell me about your mother. Chopper. Get to the chopper. Go. Go. <laughs> sorry. Sorry, guys. Jesus. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Dave, I'm sorry. Okay. Welcome to the Sam Whitworth Show, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) (laughs) Episode one. Episode one of the Sam Whitworth Show. That's not a bad thing. Filmed live in Vegas, the Sam Whitworth Show starring Sam (laughs) Whitworth. Okay, maybe not. (laughs) Don't I I get to be like Ed or something? Yeah, where's my (laughs) co-host? That's great. That's great, Sam. Yes. Thank you, Chuck. Thank you. That would be perfect. Chuck. Yeah, that's right. My hair is made of toast, Chuck.
<laughs> That's just perfect, man. You are like the Chuck. Uh, uh, yeah, Chuck's like the Chuck. Of- there's no, there's there, there is no other. You're the Chuck to the Sam. That's all there That's is. Not. <laughs> That's C all there the is. S. I mean, exactly. You, it, it's not even like the Paul to the Dave, or you know, or anything else. It, it, you know, I don't know. Hmm. Nothing. You, you B to the A can't. to the D thing. Nothing but, but a G, G thing. thing. Support my crumb ring. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, already started. All right. Wow. All right, boys. Well, uh, Chris, uh, what do we got on tap? Tell me about Well, uh, we are going to be um, uh, doing a, really a part two of our segment last time we had Chuck and Sam on called Tell Me About Your Character. Um, once again, Gamer Nation, we welcome back two giants among gamers, both men, the wet dreams of many Star Wars fanboys, and more specifically, <laughs> one is also the wet dream of many adolescent girls, the other a wet dream of IT geeks and programmers across the, across the globe. We'll let you figure out which is which as we welcome back Sam Whitwer and Chuck Hurstis. That's right. Ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much. What a kind introduction that was. Thank you very much. What's up, posers? How you doing? Good, good. How are you? Um, right, I do want to say before anybody jumps to any conclusions that Sam has been taking uh, his CS classes. So, is, that, is, that, yes. is that a fact? You found time for CS classes? Yes. With Cialis? For when the time is right? <laughs> <laughs> they have classes It lets you make the time right. Oh, right. The class is for the, how you to use it properly. Yes. And make the time. Exactly. <laughs> if something's important, you make the time. You make the time. Exactly. My, my, my HMO covers that. Yes. Okay. All right, guys. What yes. Are, what are we? So, well, so should we talk or something? I mean, well, I, basically, I mean, this is going to be kind of a really. I really want this to be an open format. I know we had a great time last time we were on, but we got a lot of feedback from that episode that people really enjoyed hearing about uh, the campaigns you guys were running, and more importantly, they really, really enjoyed the character discussion. Um, and I think some of the best talks we've had have been regarding, you know, character arc, character archetypes and 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 player character relationships um, and that whole role playing element so I thought we could take the time to really have you guys expound and talk to us a little bit about the experiences you've had um, in terms of, of that so um, gosh absolutely um, yes. I, I, mean, yeah, I, think, I, I think we kind of we kind of molded over actually from some of that feedback and, and wanted to talk about there are a couple of characters in the campaign that we, we didn't get too much coverage of last time um, and, and we were looking for a bit of a spin on that um, of, of basically an excuse to, to talk about them. <laughs> and I think what, what we came up with is is themes sort of for uh, approaching your player or your player concept um, and, and sort of lessons to be learned from that. And I, I think we have some really good examples. Yeah, what, what you know, when you're creating these characters, yeah, what, what works? When is stretching too much in terms of, uh, you know, GM Dave playing a Wookiee, Works sure because that's, that's not that's not a big stretch. No, he's violent. He's a violent guy. Very violent. Kiss yes. my ass. See, <laughs> wow, <laughs> Wookie, that sounds like. <laughs> that's right. Um, in in tree so, Wook. You know, Twi'lek so, twi- twi- goodness playing Twi'lek goodness is you know <laughs> not that big of a stretch. And usually she's playing a character that's sneaky and 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 uh, you Devious. know yes. conniving and hoity and manipulative. Yeah. And right. It, it works. To, it's not a big stretch. It really is. Trying, trying to hoard all the money, you know. I mean, that's you just know, part of this hobby is definitely about stretching and and finding new things, trying new things. But there is uh, something that happens when a character when a, when a player uh, stretches a little bit too far, and, and this is something that we call 
the illusionist, illusionist syndrome. Yes, the illusionist <laughs> syndrome or the illusionist effect. And okay, so let's 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 go back in time a little bit, ladies and gentlemen. Come, come with us back in time. Yes, get into the fantastical <laughs> land of dragons and adventurers. Dungeons and Dragons first edition, right? So uh, actually, Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, and we were we were going to play a module called the Tomb of Horrors, and I don't know if you guys. Are aware of that? I don't think anybody's heard of that. Yeah, no one's heard of it. But if you if you haven't heard of it, if you're one of the uh, three, see the thing is, people. I mean, you're going to give them crap and stuff. But it's like you know, if you're not as much of a geek as we are, and have dates or something, I don't know, whatever that means. Guys, guys, they're they're listening to this podcast. Oh, that's right. Well, you guys have to understand, the Tomb of Horrors was this legendary module uh, that was this crypt. And it was filled with traps and all this terrifying stuff. And it was designed by Gary Gygax himself, the guy who essentially invented this hobby uh, when he invented Dungeons & Dragons. He designed it because he got complaints that D&D at high levels was getting too easy. So he created a module that would essentially kill people. Right. Uh, that was just filled with all these ingenious traps. And uh, people back then would spend years building their character up to level 9 or 10 only to go into the Tomb of Horrors and then die. <laughs> Have them smited. Yes. So I thought it'd be fun to just run this module. So I said, listen, uh, I, I started briefing them a little bit on what this was. And uh, Chuck, maybe you can remind me who was there. What, what was the situation? What were the, what were the terms of this whole uh, exercise when I brought it up? Yeah, I think, I think one of the... One of the innate understandings was that people were going to die. So Sam gave everyone the, the choice of creating multiple characters. Um, but I think to keep balance in the group, it was like you could create, you know, multiple lower level characters. Or, you know, if you want to do a higher level character and you, you think that's going to be your best chance of surviving, go ahead. Yeah, you could create one super powerful character or two slightly lesser powerful characters. And I, I think, I mean, most of the Star Wars gaming, I think there are a few other people as well. Yeah. Um, but most of the Star Wars gaming group were were there to take part, and and specifically, um, the the guy Matt, who's who's playing a character Timo Moss in our in our Star Wars game, um, was present. He was present, and and we had about ten guys. Some of these guys had multiple characters, so the group of of stalwart adventurers that were going to go plumb the depths of the tomb were it was like fifteen characters or twenty right. characters. I mean, it was a lot of guys because they were prepared. To die, essentially. <laughs> um, some people chose one character. Some people chose two. Uh, so, so there was this one guy who chose one character, and we will. He 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 chose the illusionist class. Yes. And he rolled possibly some of the best rolls I've ever seen. Right, like a fantastically powerful character, yes. easily the most powerful. And he chose one character. So this was a high, you know, high level character. He was unstoppable. Use this incredible illusionist. So, what ends up happening is we start out, and it's rainy, and there's a big hill with this skeleton face set into the side of the hill. And for anyone who uh, ever plans to play the Tomb of Horrors, um, you know, turn off your podcast now because there's going to be some slight spoilers. It's raining. It's a big hill. There's a skull face set into the hill, a giant skull face. And so the thieves, two of them, two thieves, start searching the perimeter of the hill, looking for a way into this hill, which is where the tomb is supposed to be. And everyone is waiting outside in the rain. They eventually find three entrances, and they sort of uh, draw straws and choose one entrance. Now, there are three entrances. Two of them are false. They actually chose the right entrance. 
So as a game master, I'm looking at That's this going, hey, good, good work. They chose the right entrance. So they start making their way in, and about 20 or 30 feet, you know, there's this, these lonely catacombs with all these hieroglyphics in the wall. It's dark. You need torches. And they are taking their damn time. The thieves are going forward. There's a couple fighters that are a little bit behind them, backing them up, and everyone else is waiting outside for them to essentially secure the opening of this crypt. Oh, dear. And so the thieves are tapping the floors, and they're tapping the walls, and they're searching the walls. They're checking everything out. They uh, have some guys bearing some torches so they can get some light. And, they're, and they get about 20 or 30 feet in without any trouble after searching for, you know, however, like... 30 minutes. 30 minutes, yeah. They finally get to this uh, relief of these two jackal-headed humanoids who were both between them carrying a chest. But the chest was a real chest that was set into the wall. So they have this relief on the wall, these two characters that are carrying a real chest that is sticking out of the wall. It's jutting out of the wall. So the thieves yell back, hey, we, uh, we found something. And they're like, well, what is it? Ah, <laughs> uh, there's a chest. And there's a catch release on the chest, a little button. And it'll open it. So what happens? Well, all these characters start discussing what the hell do we do? <laughs> you know, and this is just the tomb. By the way, the tomb keeps going on. This is just something on the wall. Right. It keeps going way deep into the hill. But they stopped at this chest and they go, oh, what do we do? Huh? And they start breaking out in this discussion. Is there a fabulous treasure in the chest? Is it what, worth risking? Is it worth risking? Is this curiosity kill the cat? Will it kill us all? Will a monster jump out if we hit the button? Will, uh, you know, will it open a secret door? Who knows? So the thieves, you know, they say, well, search the chest first. The thieves search it. They find a poison needle on the catch release. Oh, oh, boy, this is dangerous. <laughs> so the thieves go, yeah, we found a poison needle. They go, okay, well, disarm it. So they disarm it. And it's, it's decided to open the chest after much discussion. So the, chief, the thief takes his dagger, uh, puts the pawn into the catch release, and the chest pops open. And then inside they find a lever. It's a lever. That's it. Okay, guys, we found a lever. Oh. Okay, so uh, what do we do? At this point, some of the fighters are making their way in, like, the first five feet of the tomb. Most of the characters are still waiting outside right. in the rain. But, but getting very restless. Getting, I, mean, I think it's yes. It's important to know that, you know, progress is not being made very, very quickly. <laughs> very swiftly. So, but, but the thing is, everyone is... is taking it pretty deadly serious, right? And the fighters are now starting to draw their weapons and they're like, okay, and a discussion breaks out, do we pull the lever? And I'm sitting here just watching this all happen, poker facing the whole thing. So in the midst of this discussion, and the thieves, by the way, are also searching for traps and doing all kinds of other stuff, and there's a lot of intelligent discussion happening. And then this illusionist, the most powerful, powerful character, in the, character group, in the world, in the midst of this discussion, walks through the whole group with his staff. And he's supposed to be this old, wizened, <laughs> An illusionist sees this old man who knows more than everyone else, and he says, this is taking too long. <laughs> and so he takes his staff, and he's about to thrust it and, and knock the lever, to, to pull the lever with his staff, or knock the lever and, and activate it. At that point, the monk grabs his staff to stop him. And the monk is also a one-character player. You know, So the stakes are highest for these two guys, because they only have one character. So the monk grabs his staff and goes and just shakes his head, don't do it. And then, and then the illusion says, what? You guys are just sitting here discussing things. You're so scared. You're scared of nothing. nothing. There's nothing to be scared of. And so the monk just steps back and lets go of his staff. The illusionist takes his staff, winds up, and slams it into the lever. And a pit opens up beneath him, which swallows up one of the thieves, the illusionist, one of the paladins, 
and the monk. Now, the monk jumps out of the way because he has this ability to avoid pit traps. Uh, the paladin was tied by a rope to another fighter, so he gets hung up. The thief makes a saving throw and misses these poison spikes at the bottom of the pit, <laughs> and the illusionist gets impaled and dies of poison. <laughs> so, 30 feet into the team of wars, <laughs> the most powerful character is dead. Wizened. Yes, beyond wizened beyond years, right. And, 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 and easily the most impatient player of the group. So what what do we what do we learn here? Well, we learned he, that he should he should have used his eleven foot pole. Yeah, <laughs> it's right. They should have like tied a rope around the you know stress <laughs> string and then went out in the rain and pulled it. Um, but uh, okay, so what do you learn? You learn that you could have a powerful character and die if you do something foolish. But more than anything else, the monk jumped out of the way. The thief made a saving throw. These were guys that maybe could have survived if they did something foolish. This illusionist, no. Right, no ability to avoid the situation he was putting himself into, and and ultimately paid for it. Yes, exactly. He was not a, a, a the character sheet was not equipped to deal with this level of impulsiveness because what happens in D D? The magic users and the wise and guys they stay back and they give advice and wisdom, but they're well considered characters. And so what happens? This guy dies when he does something impatient. There was another situation in Star Wars where he played a wizened Jedi who was doing some impatient, impulsive <laughs> things, and he's supposed to be this 50, you know, 65-year-old Jedi, and got gunned down because he refused to seek cover and, and you know, right, be more considered. The force was going to protect him no matter what. Yes, and, yeah. Well, not always. He joined the Force. But anyway, so <laughs> so this player has done these, these impulsive things. So what does this lead us to? It leads us to how do you create a character that fits more of your play style? And we, we have some examples here. Um... Take it away. Uh, I guess which one do we want to start with? Let's here? start with uh, let's start with him. Let's start with the okay. the player that really enjoys role playing for role playing's sake. So yeah, so we have a, a character in our group, Cervantes, and I know we mentioned him in the last one. Um, he's he's sort of an actor um, who you know has played you know swashbuckling Jedi, but actually goes out and does sort of swashbuckling um, things. He sort of lives the role, and and he's the, Errol Flynn who. Uh, is starting to believe he actually is. He Bob. actually is, yeah. And and the the player who who plays the character um, is is a bit of an actor. I mean, he is easily the the best role player um, we have in the group. He's the you know he's the smooth talker. He's always about talking his way or weaseling his way out of a situation or conning his way in basically through you know through force of will. Um, and and when you look at the dynamic between this player and his character, um, it it absolutely works. This is a guy who you know when when combat breaks out, he runs and hides. He runs and hides, and he has an excuse. It's like you know the, they're the ladies. I had to right. I'll stay here and protect the ladies. Go get them, <laughs> you know. <laughs> right. You guys go get them. Um, Plays a noble, so and and he ducks out of combat. He he doesn't want any part of it. And I think you know what what we see. Is the you know again the survivability of this character? He's not a combatant. He's not. So it's it's right. It's fitting. And Michael as a character, or Michael the who player. plays them um, as, as a as a person, is very quick witted, very charming. Um, and it, it's just a case of not trying to you know deviate too far. He he has picked a character that totally works. Um, for his play style, and I and I think there's some some really good examples um, 
of of him making negotiations and and the problem is in our in our group uh there, yeah. there's some people who tend to be you know trigger happy yeah it, it, what ends up happening inevitably and, and gm dave gm chris tg let me know if this happens in your game and feel free to, ch- to chime in if any of this rings true mm. but this guy is kind of the uh he's the face of the group and and he's able to talk his way in and out of situations that blow my mind as a gm he's so good at creating reasonable arguments and counting his way out of things but inevitably, uh, one of the other groups will not receive the memo and blow his plan. You know, like <laughs> at one point there was an artifact of this this ancient Sith sword that the bad guys wanted, and the bad guys showed up in force when they were, uh, you know, checking out this tomb. And the first thing he does is takes this and holds it over a ledge, takes the artifact and holds the sword over a ledge and says, "No one move or I drop the sword." And the bad guys need that thing badly. And I'm, th- you know, so as a GM. GM the bad guy force is now in a, a position where they need to negotiate with these guys. And immediately what, right. what happens? Dramatic pause. Dramatic right? pause. Set, set the scene. The, the object of desire is hanging over a pit, you know, <laughs> certain to be released. And, and immediately... <laughs> the bad guys freeze. Shots They're, ring out from our group, like setting fire <laughs> to the entire place. The entire place. Uh, and, yeah. and immediately battle breaks out and Cervantes is left sort of holding a sword over a pit. Yeah. In a completely meaningless gesture. He then runs to, to cover. Another situation <laughs> is where they're in a, an, an enemy starship that they had stolen. And the bad guys were not quick to find this out. They have to make their way into a star system that is under siege. So there is battle happening everywhere. And this whole star system is besieged. The bad guys are pouring into the system. The civilians are trying to escape. They're getting gunned down. The Republic is overrun. And they're flying in in an enemy ship. Now... They're afraid. They don't know if the, the bad guys know they stole this ship. They don't know that. But that's that's Michael's job. He's right. going to try to find out. So he goes, oh, this is so-and-so, blah, blah, blah. And he's cutting his way through this battle, doing a pretty successful job. So I'm thinking, wow, they're just going to make their way into the system. He's going to be able to talk his way through. And one of the guys uh, questions him about his security clearance. He gets indignant, starts hammering them on a bunch of regulations he's drumming up. And he's actually doing this, at which point... <laughs> The Jedi Knight, who is sleep deprived at the time, yes, at the, the time. player, the player the is player sleep deprived, and he's really edgy and scared because I laid out a battle with all these <laughs> ships all over the place. What they didn't, you know, and and he's right. looking at all these ships, looking at all this stuff, and immediately he starts to open fire. Right, enemy ship right in front of us, Jedi at the turbo laser, just after conning our way successfully into the system, immediately turbo laser fire breaks, breaks out. Like destroying the ship in front of us, and suddenly uh, yeah. a, a giant battle breaks out. Any cover we had, any chance of sneaking through, <laughs> an arm, right. completely blown uh, after all of his hard well, work. Well, that, that's, no. that's the job of the players, though, is to is to throw a monkey wrench in your plans, is it not? Always, it's, it's hilarious. Like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's good it, drama. It no, is that, drama. Yeah, you guys I mean, are talking about this. You're talking about you know the 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 actor in the group, the the guy who's role playing for the sake of role playing, um, you know, having people mess up the well played plans. TG Dave. Um, I mean, do, you, do your thoughts go to Brev on this discussion at all? <laughs> mm, no, not at all. No, not, not, not at all. Not at all. No, tell. Uh, well, th- th- no, it's just it's it's exactly what you're describing. It's the same thing. It's the person who's you know, oh yes, always always the the clever plan, always the clever argument. Is like, and it and you know, it's okay. Somebody gets impatient and does something else. Usually me, um, <laughs> or or Dave. Yes. Um, yeah, I'm a big offender. Days of breaths there talking. Yeah, Wookiee draws his lightsaber. Oh God. Yeah, okay. Wookiee draws his vibro. Whoopie draw. Wookie draws his vibro axe. Um, but okay, as a GM, I think back to a moment you like you just described. 
um, my alternate universe game, this is probably a year and a half ago. They were playing the third session of it ever, and for several of these people, about half the group, they'd never played Saga before, much less an RPG. Um, and they're still learning the rules and trying to figure it out. And they right. come across this, they, they were in this uh, ancient, uh, well not ancient, but a, a, a run-down and destroyed space station that was infested with rat ghouls over the planet Taurus, right? And um, they finally make their way to the end of the, uh, the, the area, and they're, they're trying to escape with some virus and some antidote. Um, some some cool serum to leave with, and they of course encounter the big bad evil recurring Sith witch lady who is on her way out with the virus. She's got this little canister, and I remember you guys fought hard, Dave. You what? You blew a destiny point uh, uh, to no avail. Uh, oh, that's right. That was that was the uh, that was the uh, that had we had that battle or that encounter after four months later, then I would have beaten the crap out of her. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. No, so seriously, they were they were like level three. She was level seven, and they you know she, they 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 were still trouncing her in about three rounds. And so at this point, she's on her way out, and they're like, oh, "She's gonna leave! She's gonna leave!" And I remember Booter, quiet Booter, is sitting in the corner with his Bothan scoundrel scout, and he's like, uh, uh, "Can I can I shoot the little thing that she's holding, the virus container?" And I'm like, "Well, she's a ways away, man, and that's a really hard shot." And he turns to me, he's like, "Is it destiny point hard?" <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and the group cut up and boom and I was like wow I need to rewrite about the next two modules now <laughs> yep. and Brev still uses that in his uh, signature on the forums yes that's it, hilarious it's it, a hard yes. shot is it destiny point hard is it is it destiny point hard? But okay, well, so to to continue what you guys are saying, how do you how do you deal with that as a GM how, in, in your game when you when you I mean I always say the best laid plans go to waste you know at the hands of players but when you when you have something well prepared or how do you deal with what is in essence a a sometimes conflict between the person of action and the person of role playing? Well, you know that's the good news is that all of these things that happen. I, I encourage the players to talk to each other in character, and if they cannot communicate, I discourage them from communicating out of game and discussing strategy. So these accidents happen, and I feel like it makes for a better game. I mean, it's it's funny. It's you know. Yeah, that, I mean, you can't help but appreciate the moment and the effort that that goes into it, where you know, where Cervantes has has worked his magic. Yeah. And well, it, and, and it completely goes to ruin. I mean, to, to and, and to, to show how smart this guy is in terms of the way he plays. Now, he again, he's not a combatant. Although recently, he has yeah. now he has now taken to drawing his saber. He carries his, <laughs> not a lightsaber, a, a decorative saber that he's had since the beginning, which he just carries around because he thinks it looks cool, right? And because uh, he is, he's an, his character's an actor. And he's starting to think he's Errol Flynn, who's starting to think he actually is Robin Hood. So he's starting to now draw his sword. And and actually, this is a good point. When he activates his noble talents to give people bonuses to attack or skill checks, he plays that out. Yeah. He goes, if every I'm gonna, time. If, yeah, exactly. He's like, if I'm going to inspire them, well, I should do something inspiring. So he'll draw his sword and charge the enemy. You know, um, it's, it's for the republic. Yeah, you know, for, you know he'll, whatever. He'll, he'll do something like that. Um, but uh, but his true strength. So he's starting to do these heroic things. It used to be that. He would run from battle, or at one point these bounty hunters were after him, and he's the kind of guy who would, you know, he was on a stage and he was shooting this film, and he makes his way back toward the, you know, the, the you know, the, the gangsters show up, and he's like, yeah, we have to come and see the hut, you know, and he's like, oh, let me check my schedule, I'll see if I can, you know, and he's, <laughs> trying, to, it in. he's trying to buy himself time as he's trying to come up with a plan, and he comes back toward one of those ropes that has the weights on it, 
and he's like kind of ties one around his arm and he's, he's, and he's starting to draw his sword. He's planning to cut one of the counterweight ropes so that it drags him up into the rafters, right? And of course, you know, and he's like, uh, you know, and they're like, what are you doing? What are you doing? And he's wrapping his arm in it and he goes, what am I doing? I am Cervantes! And he takes the sword, strikes the, the, uh, the rope. But he's not strong enough to cut it yet. <laughs> yeah. So, so then, he, so then he hits it again and then starts sawing it. And then eventually, when the rope gives and he does get propelled upward, he does go ha ha, which he always does. He always says ha ha. But uh, you know, his true strength is, for example, there was a, a a prisoner. There was a big prison slave camp with all these tents, and the good guys were had bad guy uniforms, and so there was a Jedi prisoner that they had to get out of this tent, and everyone was like. They're coming up with military ideas, or maybe we can create a diversion and go in and shoot the guards and take the, the Jedi. She's being tortured. We have to get in there. She's probably can't walk. What do we do? What do we do? And he just goes, get me an officer's uniform. He just goes to one of the guys, get me an officer's uniform. And they go, well, why? He's like, let me, I'll take care of it. Get me an officer's <laughs> uniform. He goes in there. And the thing is, when there's no one there to foil his plan, it works it really works well. It works brilliant, yeah. Like, he, he, uh, he says, get me an officer's uniform. He puts on the officer's uniform and the cloak. And then he comes with one other guy. He goes, you come with me. And he grabs one of the, the heavy guns of the group. They go to the tent. And he go, and there's a guard at the tent and two guards or something like that. And he goes, is the prisoner inside? And they're like, yes. And, and he, you know, he might be wearing the wrong badge or implementation. And he goes, all right, well, I'm going to go talk to him. You know, and, he's, and he really carries it off well. And, and he walks in. And then he starts putting on this performance of an interrogation, even though the Jedi they're there to save is unconscious. So he starts interrogating and he's giving and he's telling the other one mouthing like unlock the Jedi's restraints, you know, and he starts going on this whole thing, interrogating the Jedi and, and making a real show of it. And then eventually he draws a blaster pistol and shoots the ground. Right. And then he walks out of the tent, wiping his hands, going, you know, Jedi scum, puts the pistol away. And the character that came with him is carrying the Jedi bundled up like they're getting rid of the body. Like he had went in, shot the body and, and uh, came out. And that worked. That worked perfectly. There was no one there to foil his plan. But that's the kind of player he is. And for him to, um, you know, that uh, for for him to to have chosen that kind of character was a perfect choice for a guy who loves, you know, the, the more clever side of role playing. The the to uh, you know create a character and to to live through that character. That that's what he's about. And to avoid the illusionist syndrome. To avoid Although the- to be fair. He does have times when he pushes it way too far. Sure. Yeah. His, his, so what do his, you do? What do you do when you get a character like that? Because, you know, it's not a one-man show. You know, I, I've played with people who are those entertaining types, and they want to create the the plan and the story all themselves, but they forget that there's three or four other people playing with them. How do you, how do you curb that? You know, you our players... It? are so cooperative and they're such good friends that that tends to never be an issue. Um, everyone is pretty cooperative in terms of giving, sharing the spotlight. Um, yeah, Chris, what would you do in that situation if someone was hogging the spotlight? Well, dude, I mean, I've, I've played... I've He'd played drop in, a rock on us. Yeah. Kill <laughs> yeah, right. It's always um, the answer. <laughs> th- this may sound kind of hoggy, but dude, when I when I do a lot of pickup games or I've I've you know playing with people I've not really played with before, and you don't you don't have that sense of camaraderie. Like, okay, like for for instance, if this is something he would never do, but if Booter were to suddenly like start taking hogging the spotlight, every person in the group would just be, would be comfortable looking at him and going, "Boot, shut up." Um, mm-hmm. You know, but you know, obviously, if you're playing with new people, you really can't do that. There's several ways as a GM that I've combated it. The most direct that usually draws you the most ire is okay. Well, you know what. The squeaky wheel gets the most arrow shot at them. That uh, 
that that generally that that, that generally kind of calms things down quite a bit. Uh, um, actually, I, I'm sorry, I'll throw in a comment on it because I think right. that's actually how Sam has somewhat dealt with it, and, and not so much unfairly, but it's exactly well, what we're talking right, about. Where you're going with that, with that, that this character's one weakness is that sometimes he can get too caught up in the part. Like he'll be trying to con his way past a couple guards. And it won't be working. You know, maybe he doesn't have a security pass on his badge that he needs, and they know that, and he doesn't. He will get so wound up in the lie he's telling them that he will become indignant when they go right, right. And, and, and refuse to to think that he's not going to convince these guys he is their you know their commanding officer. He will refuse to back down, and, and and that ends up getting in trouble as a GM. That's a very easy fix. You you shoot him. Or, right. or, you know, or you attack them or something really bad. You, you make them pay the penalty for, for yeah. going too far. Going and, too and far. And exactly. That, that's well, that's you, the key. So coming from the player side, I can give you a specific example of how Chris has dealt with this before. And sure. it was actually with me. So uh -oh. <laughs> this was way back in the D&D &D days. And I created a half-orc. Remember her? Onka? Onka! <laughs> oh, I remember Onka. Onka the monk. That's right. Half-orc monk. She lasted one game, <laughs> one <laughs> session, and I don't. I I was all you know excited about. Oh, I'm gonna role play her out. She's a big honking dummy, and she's just gonna walk around and try to storm into everything. And the people we were playing with didn't want to necessarily play that way, but I was all just into her role of storming through. Well, well let's Chris pause had, and talk. No, I'm kicking down the door. Bam. Uh, <laughs> so so that's what I did. I just would storm through everything without any, you know, consideration of what anybody else wanted to do. And so he put a nice little pit trap, very similar to what you were talking about earlier, ah. that uh, I fell through, had poison uh, um, stakes at the bottom, and I died. And the best part Your was the rogue, the rogue was actually like, no, wait! And I went anyways. <laughs> I haven't searched there yet! <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. wrong. You know, that's, but that's, that's, What's you know what it is? What we're hitting on is its consequence because I think the the reason my players are so cooperative with each other is bad things have happened to them. The illusionist. Like, yeah, the fact. illusionist. Or you know, even when that character Gloss shot the prisoner in the head, that created such a rift in the group and such a such a huge. I mean, like the backlash was major, and you could tell that the player who played Gloss did not want to upset the group again. He, he, you could tell that he, he felt bad about it. And Cervantes was the guy who brought the group back on task. He was the guy who not only has the, the verbal skills with the NPCs, but with the PCs. And he was able to diplomatically bring everyone back to where they were at and say, listen, this is, here's how we're going to handle it in the future, and we have to work together. So they have this understanding that if they don't, if they don't consider the group, bad things yeah, will happen. Going to happen, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, like they, like they would in, in life. Now, to take that discussion down a slightly different path in terms of what you were talking about with the character of Cervantes, mm -hmm. uh, he's this guy that, and, and the player is someone who's just, you know, is all, all into the role playing. It sounds like he's a, probably a very verbose person, uh, normally. Probably, you know, that's like that. What do you do when you have a player that is not a verbose person, but wants to, I mean, not, not normally, and especially not when they play? How do you? So not only the question really isn't so much how do you squelch the person being loud as it is how can you also encourage the person who is normally quiet during a session to role play and to act up and to be cool. And I, I noticed that. I mean, you, you talked about one of the other characters in your games, TK, that it sounded like he kind of had some moments like that. 
Mm -hmm. That's a very, very good point, my friend, because TK is this guy who, um, he, he is a very soft-spoken guy and in in character in this, uh, in this game. And there have been times where he hasn't played uh, soft-spoken characters, but he, um, he has chosen, and, and at times in, in life, he's a very soft-spoken guy, and, and he's chosen to go this route with his character. And what, what really works for him is that he is a cop in real life. The uh, player is a cop. So his character is a mercenary, and uh, he is all about um, the tactics involved and weapons. And he's the the you know the best at cycling through different weapons and making sure that each weapon has good ammo and switching the the modes for different effects. Yeah, and firing modes, knowing who to target, but you know always picking the high priority target. Sure, in that example where Cervantes held the sword held the sword over the pit. Uh, it, sh it should be noted that TK was the guy who started opening fire, but it also should be noted that TK immediately identified which of my NPCs was the most dangerous and took him out immediately. Yeah, spent a destiny point, I, I think, and to do it. Just like, yeah, just to take him out and, you know, sort of completely change the pitch of battle. So, great. He's he's our, you know, he's our tactician. He, he plays the role of sort of the mercenary, the soldier very well. Um, but yeah, he, he doesn't say a whole lot yet I, I yeah, think he is a good role player yeah I mean he um, finds ways one of the things that I've done to uh, to 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 help him was I've given him two NPC employees and uh, Chris you you've dealt with people who like treat NPCs like schmoes in fact our Jedi character played by a guy named Matt because actually, I've heard him say, like, <laughs> when there's some task that no one wants to do, they're like, oh, give it to the schmoes. And he means NPCs, right? There's just no respect there, right? Now, what's interesting is TK, the player, um, gives those NPCs such respect and dignity that the rest of the players can't help but treat these people like people. <laughs> um, he's got a Trando uh, named Herc and... Uh, human male named Trudy who are like his employees and they're, they're mercenaries too. And they've created this rapport. And he honestly talks to the NPCs more than he talks to the players. Would you say that? No, yeah, absolutely. There, There's a relationship there. There's a history. I think he even took the time to write backstories. Yeah. After you introduce the NPCs, he actually I took the time the to write NPCs. backstories for them. Right, and they, they have this, this sort of running um, rapport. And then the player for TK wrote what, like 10 pages of, of stories about these guys and what's happened to them between them and all this this, this awesome stuff and, and his family history. He's an incredible role player. But he's, um, you know, and, and in the same way that Mark Hamill, you know, Yoda in Empire Strikes Back, right? Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's, a, it's a freaking puppet. Uh, I don't mean to give away anything. Yoda's a puppet. What? Sorry. How and, dare and, you? As good of a performance as Frank Oz is giving as a puppeteer, you would never give that character any respect. That character would not have dignity. You wouldn't res you wouldn't imbue that character, Yoda, with the things that we've uh, invested in him if Mark Hamill didn't give him status. Mm -hmm. So Mark Hamill sits there and he and he talks to Yoda and he and he gives this character status. He treats him like a a, a wisened being and, and you see that relationship. It's the same thing with NPCs. Because I think, let me let me turn this around because to get back to, to Chris's just thing is how do you draw it out of him? Sam gave him the NPCs, but I think I think the trick that makes it work is he doesn't necessarily role play 
or have as many conversations with with the rest of us. And, and admittedly, we're not all role players like Cervantes. Right. The trick is Sam is Sam is really good at embodying the characters and everything else. And I think by giving him the NPCs, he's forced to interact with Sam, who embodies those characters very well. And I think I think that as a GM, let Sam draw it out of him in those conversations. Sam will ask the right questions to get a response. You know, it'll be the, you know, hey boss, what are we doing? And and TK might come back with a, you know, hey, it's none of your business. Sam will come back with, you know, no, it is my business. Like, you know, let me know what's going on here. Or, you know, we'll we'll lead the conversation and create some opportunities for TK or someone who wouldn't um, maybe interact as much with someone in the group. Um, I think he I think he puts it on, you know, I think you play to your strengths as far as embodying the characters. Mm. I think that's a good way if you are a GM, and again, this is as me sitting at, you know, sitting as someone at the table, um, to to kind of draw that out and get people more comfortable with interacting with the environment and the characters. Okay, now, now this is interesting you say that because the thoughts that go through my head, Dave, TG, there are, you, you guys both have marvelous instances in our Alt-U game where, uh, obviously not in TG's case, but in Dave's case, you're playing a strong, silent character who doesn't speak a whole lot. But um, some of the finest moments you've had role-playing-wise so far for me have been with your interactions with NPCs. In particular, Hrita, the, the, the child, girl. The, ro- yeah. the Rodian child you looked after. And currently, you've got a Padawan, Naylor Shev, that you're actually taking extreme care with. And TG, on your end, um, you, know, you, you had a really strong relationship with an NPC uh, pilot, uh, Jayla. Um, who was a good friend of the party for a very long time and basically carted you guys around, and you guys, the characters almost became like sisters. And w- as you guys are talking about this, what I'm thinking is, what I know of Dave is that Dave is such a strong father, and it became almost second nature for him to play to his own strengths with this character to become a fatherly figure. And TG, you're such a strong friend. Uh, uh, you, know, you, you, you have your girlfriends, you guys are fantastic. And that seemed to lend itself equitably. Can you guys, I mean, can you guys share with us a little bit about your, your motivations in that and how that played out for you guys as characters? That's really interesting. Um, for, for me... Well, I meant, I meant, first... I meant Dave TG. Yeah. Oh, oh, sorry, sorry. That's what I thought. And, and right <laughs> now I need, to say, I need to say one thing. Less Sam. Less Sam. I agree. Go for it. <laughs> go ahead, TG. Oh, I was going to tell you to go first. Um, I don't know. Repeat the question, please. Oh, <laughs> Lord. <laughs> can you, can you, can you uh, recite the answer in the form of a question? Um, well, no. Okay. Like, in terms of your character's interaction in particular with, with the NPC that you got close to, Jayla, mm-hmm. she basically did do a lot of the party's grunt work. But there were times that you guys worked hard to keep her safe. And the way you developed a character relationship with that individual who doesn't exist, who isn't even a puppet, is just a <laughs> something a floating around in our, in our minds and hearts. How did it feel to play that? And what, what kind of led you toward that, that role? What made it easier? What made it difficult? Wow, that's, like a, that's a really deep and loaded question. Um, I don't know if I have anything philosophical to tie to it. Dave can probably have something that's a, a little bit more deeper. He probably had a deeper connection with the NPCs that his character connected with. Um, whereas in, in, in my particular situation, it was, uh, I did it because I thought it would be good storytelling. Honestly, I thought that the kind of character that I was playing, a noble 
would be one that would try to make friends with uh, someone that she not only saw to be um, nice and helpful, but someone that would honestly be able to help her out in her career in one way or another. And that's kind of where that character, that NPC wound up doing as a noble and being raised as a noble um, in that kind of house and our atmosphere, that's what she would see. You know, her friends are going to be friends that are going to be beneficial to her as well. Um, at the same time, I think her motivations were, because that character would be a character whose parents would not approve of that particular NPC being a friend uh, <laughs> because Jayla was a smuggler. Um, and yeah, the, so she was trying in a way rebelling against her parents for that. Yeah. Okay. So I am doing this because this is smart and what an NPC would do or what, what a noble would do, but I'm also being friends with her because parents wouldn't want that. And so it's a way for me to say, I'm making a decision for myself, not based off what my parents want. Would you say any of your own personality and your own decision-making might've leaked into your characters at that point? Um, I think the independence part of it, like, I don't have anything against my parents giving me advice. I have against my in-laws giving me advice, maybe, you know, <laughs> <Whoa>. wow, <laughs> they're going to love this episode. <laughs> no, no, it's no, it's not that bad. They're, they, they all, they, my parents and in-laws, they give me really good advice. Um, so I don't think it was any of that playing into it, to be completely honest. It was, um, more of the independence side of it. I think that ultimately is the was the motivation to prove independence, which has been my struggle my whole life, is to prove that as a woman I could be independent and ah, all that other kind of BS, right? So So you uh, brought a lot of a lot of that personal motivation in there. Now now Yeah. Dave, you've had two NPCs that your character's been very close to at this point and Tell us a bit about it. I mean, I think it's safe to say you have sort of a fatherly relationship, or had have had a fatherly relationship with both of them. Solara has. Yeah, I would say so. The the first, a force sensitive young girl, who took to um, my character Salura very quickly, I guess. Or and Salura kind of took to her pretty quickly, and they kind of, even though um, Jayla really was the what would what would you say she was she was like the the keeper of this young girl for the most part right yeah when we well when, well it was it, you, you got you guys had found like the, the 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 very same station with the fight with the BBEG where you guys that was infested with rat ghouls yeah she was like the only survivor right and and yes. uh, and the the NPCs father was the head researcher on the station and he had turned into a rat ghoul and it was very troublesome for her so that pair sort of bonded sort of Sigourney Weaver uh, uh, blonde-headed child aliens kind of moment. Right. Awesome. Yeah, and so they were really, they were very tight at the very beginning but then... Um, Newt. 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 <laughs> Sorry, I was thinking of the name. <laughs> Newt Findos. Um, anyway, the... Well, uh, at the end of the day, basically, Solora took to this young girl in a protective type of way. And uh, as we further went on in, in the alternate universe campaign, it became painfully obvious that the girl was the key to um, continuing on our path. And uh, I guess my character chose 
to be her guardian. Hmm. And they were, you know, whether through story or whether through action or both, probably a combination of both, they um, wound up being very close. Not, not, I wouldn't say inseparable or anything like that, but you could... Salura had a very... Yeah, I would call it a fatherly... Um, what, feeling, even love for the girl. And and so that, yeah, you're going to ask me if that comes from my character as as far as a human being. And I'll say, you know, anybody that knows me knows that I pretty much wear my heart on my sleeve. Uh-huh. And um, I, in, if, if I like you, <laughs> if you're one of my friends, um, I will invest sometimes uh, too much emotionally into relationships that I have. <laughs> Chris, you can speak to that. <laughs> <laughs> from uh, from not only from from an employee standpoint, you know, being a manager, I've sometimes uh, almost dangerously in, invested too much emotionally in a couple of, of people. But um, you know, it just it's it's in my nature to be I don't know an emotional tampon, if you will. <laughs> Episode yeah. eight. Eloquently put. Emotional tampon. <laughs> yes. I absorb very well. <laughs> absorb. <laughs> absorb wisdom. Emotional <laughs> <laughs> tampons of wisdom. But did, as a GM watching you role play with with, with these characters the way you have it seems that you know you, you lend a lot when you draw in that personal experience and it also seems like you get a lot out of it and I, I think I think that's true for anyone well who's... that's funny you say that because those are the parts of the adventure that I remember the most vividly yeah. is that right? yeah oh yeah without yeah. without question the, the part where you have an emotional um, reaction from yourself and the character it's cathartic it in a way. Yeah. 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 It's. it's I, don't, I don't actually have real emotions. I'm kind of like Dexter, so I. I don't know if that's. <laughs> yeah, that's I know you are. Yeah, Sam's an ice princess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's that's really interesting though. So you know, it's funny. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> you you brought up the. Um, because you, you just brought up two two strategies that I <clears throat> I think are <clears throat> useful for for. Uh, GMs that might be listening, the the two strategies being one, play to the if you're going to add an NPC and attach it to a player, or at least try to do that, see if that attachment is can happen. Um, one, uh, seek out character traits of that person and see what they will respond to. And if it's a you know if it's a person with a strong father-like bond, um, then yes, putting someone in that position with them is going to work. And then also, what I did with uh, with TK's character is. The first thing I did is make these two characters useful to him. You know, if the character is useful, that's the beginning of the player liking the character. In fact, I'm always astonished uh, that no matter how well I play a character here and there, at first, when they're first starting to get to know, to know a character, if the character doesn't really <clears throat> um, lend value to them in a very substantial way, they don't like them or they might not care that much or, you know... And not always, but you know, if a character is is somewhat of a, if they it's seen as an obstacle in any way, like this salvage crew that kind of appeared out of nowhere, to uh, which was something that the the players had to deal with when they were trying to get this Sith ship up and running. Um, it wasn't until the salvage crew 
not only helped them repair the ship, but also repelled an attack right. that they that they gave these people some respect. They're like, you know what, these guys are okay by us. And uh, and the thing with TK is he's taking it three steps further in that anytime that any any person treats one of his NPCs like an NPC. He's the first one to stand up. For yeah, him. he's the first one to defend him. I, I, I think, and again, I think to to Sam's credit, he's he's hit upon, you know, picking out those traits. I mean, this is this is a you know police officer by trade, and it's it's that officer, you know, it's that partner, yep. you know, you know, buddy and 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 friendship and bond that you have, and and you you give that player these two guys that are sort of like his partners, and yeah. and it works because they have that bond. It's. It's they've you know it's like they've they've been through the battles when Sam throws out you know uh, you know remember that time on you know whatever like back when we were a boy we you know barely got out of that like TK is right there with him yeah that's true you know and 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 it works the bond works and it it is a way to to bring it back around to 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 find a way to get that emotional investment where you have a player who who's maybe not the biggest role player or the most vocal character. And you can you can draw that out of them. Like once you have that that bond or that attachment, you can you can use that to yeah to bring them into and, it. And it should be noted that TK is um, actually a very experienced role player, and and he has played characters who are more verbal. But I think the reason he's more quiet in this game and plays a stronger silent type is because for many years he couldn't join us every time. He does now. He's he's with us every time we yeah. play. Right. For many years, he was in and out, so he had to observe to, to kind of get the temperature of the room a lot. So he created a character that that was perfect for. Him. But you know, to, but but he is also he does have his his keen sense for, for role play. I mean, he will take a move or a swift action to pull out a cigar in the middle of a tense battle and light it up. You know, that's important. <laughs> right. <laughs> in fact, that that's an awesome awesome story. I mean. Yeah, they were in the middle of uh, their first space battle. They had only a few people that were trained as pilot, and uh, the the lead, the best pilot of the group, was giving this given the starfighter. He's never really. This is the first actual big space battle in the game, and they are now like you know at least level five or six. And so I, I really led up to it. They had little skirmishes, but this is the first major battle. And the pilot is you know they they divvied up the ships. They had three ships. They had the giant cruiser they were aboard. Someone had to pilot that. They had their freighter, and then they had a starfighter that they had recovered. So they gave the best pilot the starfighter after much debate. And then they gave uh, another pilot uh, who was played by the same player as the Illusionist, which we'll get to that later. There's a point about this. Um, and then TK took the cruiser. Take, yeah, go right up to the helm yeah. of this giant So he's Sith standing at the, right, exactly, at the equivalent of the big <laughs> wheel at the, you know, at the helm <laughs> of the ship. And, uh, and he was, uh, again... As a tactical player, not even a pilot, he was uh, he was brilliant, but also very entertaining in that he would he would describe reactions he had. You know, if something went well, or right. you know, a smile, or a, you know, his little subtle things his character would do, or his but, cigar. But the defining moment, yeah, is, is like just this this tense battle, and I, I forget what movie he was about to make, but he, he's just Some about to very do very risky maneuver. Yeah, like, he just was about to pull something off, and and he's like considering his moves, looks at Sam and goes. Can I use a swift action to like pull out and it's like, yeah, and, and like according to rules, I'll allow it. Yeah, according to rules written, you shouldn't be able to you know, I'm like, oh come it's on. It's a move action. <laughs> no, it's a, he's got a cigar. And and uh he uh and and the NPC, one of his NPCs was uh co-piloting and, and they had awesome interactions. And and again, tactically, this guy is unmatched in the group. He's, yeah. he is 
and probably because he's a cop. He's the smartest tactically in the group. He knows just instinctively who to go after, how to go after them. It makes it hard for me to design encounters because he's so effective at taking them apart. Um, and and when he was flying the ship, it was it was no different. He, he you know he's not a he's not really the pilot. He was trained in pilots. So he was okay, but this guy is you know they were in an asteroid field. He's flying a giant ship. And there's fighters swarming all about him, you know, taking little chunks out of his ship. So he just decides, all right, take me into the mo- the densest part of the asteroid field. Yep. He's like, I Scrape can take off. it, can they? Yeah, exactly. You know? Scrape them off. And uh, just did a, you know, incredible things. You know, would, would fly close to larger asteroids for cover and all kinds of just brilliant stuff that he would do. Um, but it was, it, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a good example of how even non-verbally, you know, again, if, if, you're, if you're one of those characters or, or players out there who, who isn't so much into the role-playing. Yeah, or, or, or you, you are a little bit shy. Or yeah, you can, you can add flavor. You don't have to be the guy who gets up and makes the, you know, the Braveheart speech, speech. Um, to, to, to leave an impression. You can, you know, the very, that swift action to pull a cigar is like the defining, yeah. it was awesome. It was just like a brilliant moment um, to have. And there wasn't a word, you know, set, not, not a word at all. But just through the action, or just through his response of, you know, yeah, when he when he gets a hit, you know, he, he he's like gets a little grin, and you know, just describes yeah, it. Yeah, he he would actually say to me, he says, I I say this under my breath. I mean, he'd actually go so far as to add those little details in, which just flesh out the character. If the, if the character's a strong silent type, it's it's fun to because you know you can hang back and just throw little things out that. That helped flesh out. Yeah, and in, in some ways you can use it to your advantage because if you're not a huge role player, the, the fact when you actually do something and show a response, it yeah. carries that much more weight. Exactly. You bring it, it to it. When, so. you're, when you're silent, then when you say something or do some little subtle thing, everyone kind of perks up and pays so, attention. Yeah, so Dude, speaking, I mean, yeah. player point of view, you know, don't be shy. Don't be afraid. And, and you know, you can act non-verbally and still add a lot to the emotion. Absolutely. Yeah, like, Dave, were, Dave, TG, like, seriously. No. Like, our, our quiet player, Booter, when he talks... It's like E.F. Hutton, dude. When E.F. Hutton speaks. Everyone yeah. <laughs> Dude, when, when, when he talks, everyone listens. Everyone just shuts up. It could be in an argument, and if he, I mean, a word escapes his lips, and everyone just... Uh, yeah, because <laughs> usually he's got something awesome to do. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, right. Yeah, it, 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 he says nothing an entire session, and then in one round, saves two million people with a mechanics <laughs> check. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, and it, it comes off with, okay, I'm going to do this this, this, and this, then I'm going to spend the destiny point to do this, this, and this. And all of a sudden, seven people are dead. It's like, oh, <laughs> right, oh, right. Oh, wow. Well, that's that's kind of TK. That is TK, yeah. He's, he's the guy, if there's ever some sort of battle plan they need to come up with, he is the best at it. He's the guy who goes, well, what if we do this? And he comes up with some insidious, tricky, tricky stuff. Um, but even, you know, even to that point, it's like, if, even if your player isn't uh, a tactical genius, he would still add a lot just by his mere presence. Yeah, right. Yeah, there are many ways to bring to bring some flavor and and you know something into the game. So, yeah, and, and, and what it is, it's it's just little mannerisms. You know, sometimes it's just little you're figuring out what little quirks your character has and inserting them at you know at just little points in the game, reminding people that this this guy is a living, breathing human being. You don't yep. have to get out fr- in front of everyone, but just adding those little things. I think. Really no, okay, so so then what happens when a player is Doing, I guess, the wrong mannerisms for their character. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you, the, the GM slams his fist to the table and goes, "Wrong!" Right? <laughs> You're wrong. And, <laughs> right, and rocks start falling. Right. <laughs> You're killing everyone. 
<laughs> but seriously, I mean, do, do you have... Okay, so we're talking about different player archetypes. We're talking about different players and how playing their character... Okay, I'm sure you guys have experienced this, where you have the player who is trying to play a different archetype, but can't. Yeah, oh, yeah. And, and, that's, and that's the illusionist. He, he, you know, there, was a, there was a time where he played a Jedi character... <laughs> and the the player who played TK played a a senator who was being hunted by the Empire, and the and the the plan was in the story that they were supposed to meet up at a space station, and the Jedi was an old friend of his father's, and so all that the senator knew is that he was being hunted. He had a bodyguard with him, and an old friend of his father's was supposed to meet him at the space station. He didn't have a name, and so you know the illusionist shows up as a Jedi, and goes, "You must come with me," and. The senator goes, well, okay, are, are you the guy I'm looking for? And he goes, you must come with me. He goes, what's your name? You must come with me. And then mind tricks, tries to mind trick both of them and only manages to get his bodyguard. At that point, you know, uh, the, the player who plays, uh, the senator is looking at me like he's got to play in character. So eventually, after these shenanigans for a while, he draws a gun on the, on the guy. And I can't argue with it as a GM because I'm like, He's paranoid. He's under. He's on the run, uh, and so I'm. I'm looking at the destruction of the game in the first five minutes. <laughs> uh, sometimes things can happen like that, but you know what it is: is if you encourage that same player to play someone that he is suited for, you get Timo Moss. Yes. Yeah. Which is a great example. I mean, it it is the player. It is the illusionist. This is the no. This is the <laughs> same player who played the illusionist. And he has in the Star Wars game come up with the most successful character he has ever played, and and a character <laughs> who not only is extremely effective in fights, but is extremely lovable, because yeah. he took the. It, it's like this version of of his role playing life. This character takes those little impatient moments and stuff like that, but creates a character that when the, that character does it, there it's kind of lovable. It's kind of adorable. You know, and, and he'll make little mistakes, but it's a character who can survive those types of mistakes. Well, that's the thing. is he, he wants to take, and he does take, just ridiculous risks. Extreme risks. But the difference is he's he's not playing, you know, a, a noble who's a senator who's never worked a day in their life. Who, like, or a wisened Jedi who is not very strong, but is strong in the force. Strong in the force, strong of yeah. mind. But, you know, he, but he, he's got the, the physical traits to sort of back up being a little bit reckless he's or agile. a little bit impatient. He's, he's this big guy, right, who was raised <laughs> on a backwater planet. Um, his, his father died at an early age. His mother raised him, and, and, they, and, and he worked in a droid foundry <laughs> from, from, like, age 10 to, to like, right. 19. He was on the wheel. So his, 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 his charisma is low, and so his, his sort of uh, social growth was stunted because he talked <laughs> to droids all the time. <laughs> and uh, he's a really big guy because he had to do a lot of manual labor, and uh, and he's extremely well-meaning. But the, the cool thing about him is, in the group, he is the he's the working-class hero. He's the guy that goes off in the adventure with the guys, but then eventually has to get back to his right, job. He's got to gotta, he's gotta go right. He's got to go report to work and deal with this boss who like the well, hates. Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And but the thing is, in you know, in the same gaming session where his boss berates him, you know, there is this there is this moment where. They were in a minecart chase, and there were these droids in the in the minecart behind them, blasting away. And they realized they had one grenade, and these then the minecart was just crazy. It was winding around, and and they're in the front cart, and the droids are in the back. And eventually, uh, Timo asks everyone, you know, put the brakes on. And they're like, "What are you talking about?" And they put the brakes on, and and you know, he doesn't want to risk throwing the grenade. I've already told him that's going to make an incredible 
incredibly tough shot with all these wi- with with the way the track is winding mm-hmm. to plop the grenade in in the bad guy's cart. And really, as a, a GM, maybe it's possible at the time in my early days that I was like, you know, just you know, just I, I didn't want those all those bad guys to be killed with one with one shot. But the thing is, it was realistic. You, it would be a very hard shot to make, right? Well, he ends up leaping from one cart to the other, which was an incredibly dangerous move to begin with. Plops the grenade down, and uh, I, I believe as a as a free action or you know, just a drop it. You know, he was in right. the cart and then leaps back. And uh, the difficulty of which was just astronomically, I mean, it was it was way out there. And I let him know. But the thing is, he created a character who was good at Right, that. like he'd pull it off. Who could actually right. pull that off. And, and so all these reckless things that he tries to do, these impatient things, well, this character is absolutely suited to... Uh, to that kind of heroism, and uh, he ended up plopping the grenade in, jumping back, and the mine car be- behind them explodes. And I, I thought he possibly could have died in that moment, but he didn't, and he yeah. saved everyone. Um, he's done a lot of things like that. Um, but I, I think, again, in, in in finding, you know, finally coming around and finding a, a character that actually suits, um, you know, your nature and your your play style. Um, I think Sam hit upon like the the low, you know, charisma and and sort of like social ineptitude, um, <laughs> but but it's one of the best things about the character. Yeah, that that you really want to get behind him. Like he gets himself into situations where you know he's going to have to talk his way out, and or he, other people put him there, and it's it's just not going to work. Yeah, it's, there. It's yeah, exactly. There was a moment where he there were some guards and they were they were trying to they were at a a, a dig site. So, you know, Sith tombs and the bad guys were all there and they were digging, but the good guys knew where to dig, you know? Right. And so he's sort of like, you know, Timo, cover cover the entrances, make sure no one comes in this chamber. So he's standing there and he's just kind of like looking around and they're in the bad guy uniforms. And then and then a couple, uh, you know, a, one bad guy guard comes up, I think. Yeah. And goes, he goes, what's going on over there? You know, where, you know, and, and he goes, oh, they're, they're, aren't they digging over in chamber B? And and Timo goes no no there's no need to worry uh, you know we're we're just uh, surveying some things over here and he goes oh okay and he goes I, that's funny I I really thought that you know after they found the tower that we were you know concentrating all our digs over there and then Timo goes the tower what tower <laughs> and, then, and, the guard, and the guard goes you know the the tower and he goes I wasn't aware of this tower and it's and what I'm as a GM I know this is the most obvious geographical thing in the right. entire dig. That everyone knows about, and and immediately the guy starts backing up, and and, <laughs> and uh, Timo has to smother him. And Timo <laughs> has to grab the guy and choke him out. And <laughs> when words fail him, just bring strength. But it, exactly, he made a character who can also choke people out fairly right. well. He's a, he's an cre- extremely strong individual. But the thing is, is his uh, his his guffaws no longer become something that will kill him. They become something that makes the game better. Yeah, and it, and it can, makes his character in, endearing. It's it's. You know, when you when you watch him go through that, it's 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 just great to see. I think the other another situation was well, in the bar with uh, oh God. the attempted robbery <laughs> and and getting himself. So it's so, the classic thief wants to rob someone in a bar. Distract this guy for me while I pickpocket right. him. And mm-hmm. and you can't pick a worse person to distract to distract him. him. So yeah, he he's he completely essentially telegraphs. He, he essentially. Almost looks at the thief while the thief right. is like watching his hand. <laughs> yeah, and and immediately bad things happen. But the thing is, is that you know all of these minor failures uh, are first of all overshadowed by giant successes. I mean, he's he's possibly the most uh, 
in terms of personal risk, the most heroic member of the group. Um, but uh, but also again, these little these 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 little errors, you root for the guy. You absolutely root for him. When you when you make little mistakes like that, um, you become a character that's extremely sympathetic. Yeah. Um, you know, that's one of the important things. That, for example, when I approach a character, you know, and they say, oh, he's supposed to be really smooth. You kind of have to throw a little error in there, here and there. Otherwise, the audience is just going to hate this guy. He's just going to be smarmy, mm -hmm. you know. Well, yeah, he has, he has a, is a that very... How you, sorry. Is that how you deal with characters who maybe aren't suited for superheroism? So maybe players who are placing higher demands on their characters than what they can satisfy? It's, yeah, it's, it's encouraging a player... Because here's the, here's the big thing, and maybe you guys can all chime in on this. You want to encourage people to stretch and try new things, because that's part of what the game is about. But if you're passing out roles, you know, if, if there's a guy who is just one of the other guns, or he's just kind of sticking around, he can kind of try anything. But if one guy says, I want to be the pilot, and really can't grasp that, mm. uh, there's some trouble there, because that's a role that needs to be filled and filled well. And in fact, it's not just that the group will suffer, but the character playing that pilot in a in a battle situation is going to feel frustrated. And and yeah. uh, you know, I, I think yeah, I mean, there's a literally perfect example of that where um, during that space battle that Sam was talking about earlier, there there was a lot of discussion early on over, over who was going to pilot this this like Sith fighter, the starfighter. There was the, the you know they had uh, TK was piloting the big ship, and they had a freighter and a starfighter, and. Uh, and there was a lot of discussion who should get the starfighter. Should the best pilot take the freighter, and Timo should he take the starfighter? Right, because the the sort of superior stats and mobility of that would make up, um, you know, maybe for, for his, his less capable of of piloting. And in the end, it didn't go his way. And I, I think there was some frustration about that. And the, yeah, in the end, they decided the best pilot should take the starfighter. And I know that he was a little bit frustrated about that. But I think you know, so he ends up taking off in in the freighter. And he takes it out, and, and he's, like, banging off of asteroids, mm. not necessarily making, you know, the, the smoothest sort of decisions or... or yeah, you know. I, I laid out a star, uh, a big map I, I, with Dungeon or Dungeon yeah. Genie or whatever it is, and, and created a whole battle map that had some areas that had dense asteroids, some areas that had less dense asteroids, some areas that were clear space, and each of those blocks, you know... Depending on how many little asteroid things were on the map, there were stats for how hard it was to get through that. And the advantage would be that if you're being chased down, the bad guys are going to have to make the same right, roles. Same roles. You know? So um, he wasn't necessarily, you know, uh, TK was being very strategic, as he always is. The pilot, played by Gloss, the, the psycho who shot the guy in the head <laughs> who was tied up, see episode 80. Yeah. <laughs> he... When eventually he got the, the Starfighter started, which he didn't right away, they, they forgot to someone found Chuck's character Me? found a launch yeah. key Me. early on in the adventure and they forgot to give it to, <laughs> to the pilot to the pilot so the so in the middle of the battle the pilot's waiting in the hangar bay <laughs> kicking the engine Ready like, to launch you know, he's like right, I can't get this thing to start and then Chuck's running up from the engine room to try to give him the, <laughs> the launch key so in the middle of the battle their best pilot is in the hangar bay <laughs> doing nothing you know panicking eventually when he took off uh, here's the to compare and comp contrast gloss uh, uh, when he took off, uh, when Timo, when he was flying the freighter, was very apprehensive. Maybe I should do this. Maybe I should do that. And you could see that because I'm asking people to come up with their actions fast. I don't. I don't want people to take too much time. Right. You could see he was getting frustrated with that because he didn't quite know what to do. 
And then by contrast, Gloss, as soon as he shot out of the hangar, they got the launch key in and he, he launched. People, it, sometimes people speak out of turn and they speak out of game. And I had some players doing that. Like, well, you should do this. Or there's a space bomb coming in. Shoot down the space bomb. And they're all yelling that. And he just kept putting his hand up like, wait, wait a second, <laughs> wait. He ends up zipping off. He's like, okay, I use the swift action. I increase speed. I do this. I do that. And he had this brilliant plan where he shot off into this other asteroid, got some cover, and then took some shots anyway. It's just this, all the, and every move that he made, he was five steps ahead of everyone else. Yeah. You know, it was, he was just brilliant. Whereas, uh, by comparison, Timo character was very frustrated because he didn't quite know. Yeah, it was. It was never feel for completely it. reactive. Um, you know, trying to do some of the same things like flying close to an asteroid to scrape things off, but not really having the skills to make that roll. And y you could see some of that. Some of that. You know, again, just the the frustration. You know, surfacing of this is where you're pushing that character. You know, a little bit beyond what you're going to do. You're you're a big guy. You're you know. Well, but but moreover, moreover, he was pushing himself because he he is not that he doesn't think um, quite the the heroics that he does are more impulsive, and right. he ends up saving everyone's ass because he comes he he does something just totally risky and impulsive, and he ends up pulling it off. He's not necessarily the guy who's going to plan out the tactical strategy, and the guy who was flying the, the big ship, right. the, the cruiser, is, and the guy who's flying the starfighter is times two. Yeah, when it race. comes to when it comes to you know, he's the chess player of the group. You know, TK is the is the cop, so he knows about room clearing and shooting and this and that, and he has a general, a real good sense of tactics. This guy is the guy who, you know, beat Ghosts and Goblins, you know, three <laughs> days after getting it when he was, like, 10. You know, so he's just <laughs> this video game master, and he just has this mind where he can just put things together. And so he was just zipping around doing all these things. So he's the perfect guy to play that pilot because as a player, he grasps things like that really yeah. easily. So, to answer your question, TG, you you want to encourage a player to to capitalize on their strengths, and and really the the biggest thing was we built this character. It was the first time he'd really played a character that was like Timo. He'd always played these wizened, right. patient characters that required you to be well considered, slow, patient, and methodical. And the moment he plays a character who is not as perfect, more flawed. Um, tries really hard but doesn't always succeed but has has talent has has ability and has physical ability the moment he plays that character his character com completely thrives yeah it comes alive i mean he, he's not trying to be more than he is and that works and, yeah. and it allows him to to take those chances and, so and it's a more satisfying game for all for all of us What's so that? do you think for most for a most successful game for a most satisfying game people should be making characters that are most like who they are in real life or at least should key in to very key factors in their personality i think and and the, and here's the discussion and chris and dave i'd love to hear what you say what you have to say about this where do you draw the line between stretching and trying new things mm. and keeping parts of who you are in the character i've got a lot to say about that but i'd like to hear what dave has to say there's no reason why you can't do both yeah i, I don't think there's any reason why you can't do both now you do a good job of that, Dave, honestly. Most every character you play is, is you, but there's something different about Very it. Very different about every character well, you play. Yeah, and, and that's sort of by design because I, I, I'm one that can never fully step out of my comfort zone. I've never been able to do that. And so every character has some of me and, mm -hmm. I, and something else that I want to experience something different, right? 
Right. So in the, from that aspect, there's there's some core tenet of your being that you have to have in your character, in my opinion. It, it may only be one, but it, it's probably the most important one. You know, let, let's take Salora, for example. I'm... I am not a charge off, uh, you know, beat somebody down kind of guy. You know, I'm just, I'm, I'm not a, you know, by nature, right? No, you are not. You are not a, a, an aggressive individual. I, I am not a testosterone. I, I, I am Hispanic, but I am not Tito Testosterones. <laughs> <laughs> right. Tito Testosterones. Okay. So, but you know what? What's the part? The part of me that's in Salura is that is that that we spoke of earlier. That that little bit of emotional part, the very emotional part, actually, where he would go off as a Jedi and in a, in a um, well before actually before he became a Jedi, he would go off in a Wookiee rage and cleave somebody's head off because okay. he was mad and he you know or throw them off a cliff or. Take the take the the Sith's dead body and throw it down the chute after stealing the the lightsaber, because he was mad, <laughs> you know. We, and then spit and howl. That was yeah. My personal favorite was after you beat the uh, Masasi gladiatorial champion, and there's a oh firefight going about you. Your friends are dying, and after you pound him into unconsciousness, you stop to snap his neck. Awesome. <laughs> Full round action, coup de gras. Okay. Yep. Well, and if I'd have had time, dead. I'd have picked his head up and thrown it into the crowd or something. <laughs> <laughs> Are you entertained? Are you not Are entertained? You not entertained? Yes, indeed. But yeah. So, yes. So my answer is to be the most fulfilling experience possible. When I draw up a character, it needs to be part of me and part of somebody else. Part of you know, it's an escape mechanism for me. Doggone it! When I go and play, I, I don't get to play that often. You know, I have too much real life involved. Yeah. Uh-huh. Very you know, true. From, from my perspective, I'll, I have this to say. I, I agree with Dave. It, it is an escape. And a lot of people role play to try on a new skin, to yeah. be someone they normally can't. Now, when I first started playing this game, uh, before I, I met the, the current play groups that I have now, I played for quite some time for a group near me, uh, just a mishmash of people that I happened to meet through RPGA and online, and people of varying personality types and intelligence levels, quite frankly. And there was one fellow in particular who was, he was a nice guy, but to play a Force user in this particular system, to, uh, to play a Jedi, okay, if you, unless you just want to be a lightsaber monkey who swings and beats things down, it takes a fair amount of of intellectual planning to play a force user properly. There's a lot. You, I would think you guys would agree. There's a lot to keep track of. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, there's you know the same thing for playing a caster in in in, in D and D. Okay, in, in old in old old in, uh, you know th- third edition D and D. And this guy really wanted to play the Jedi. We were running a Dawn of Defiance campaign. And he really wanted to do it. And you know what? What do you what do you say to that? What What do you say? Do you say you know? I'm sorry, you're stupid. You cannot. You, you, you can't really say no. Right? You can't I mean, exactly. You can't really say no, and it, it reaches a point where it's actually you know it's going to hinder the party because the encounter is structured for this individual to play their role and use the resources they have at their disposal, but they're not because on the fly this guy can't think hard enough or or or, or ahead enough to do anything beyond just saying uh, I I I shoot him, right? <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and and you know that's fine, but. So I, I, there's there's that end of it. For, from my perspective, yeah, you know what? There there is a bit of it that that has to be trying something new and escaping. And I think maybe a small part of it that is 
perhaps role playing is what I would like to see in myself for a lot mm. of people. Yes, yeah. And um you know, so th- th- there there is that to contend with. And and it it's one of those things where I think you have to find a happy modicum, a medium, and I don't think it's easy for a lot of people. And for Pete's sake, we're debating some pretty esoteric crap right now. Most yeah. people who play this system of this game, let's get together, roll some dice, and blow up some droids. <laughs> yeah! And, and that's all they're looking for out of it. And that's great, too. That's true. You know, it's, it's uh, yeah, all this heady sh- uh, I was going to say we have, shit. We, we've we, said the BBC weren't yeah, yeah, okay. safe. All this heady shit we come up with, I mean, it's it's if it's useless to you, then yeah, I, I, ignore it. But if some of it seeps in and some of it sounds like a good idea, give it a shot. But yeah, absolutely. It's It really... It needn't be so considered. Um, it's. I was going to jump in. I, I wanted to address some of the stuff in the in the chat room. Of, I see many many people going, you know, yeah, but I, I encourage people to do all kinds of different roles, and and I don't think we're not saying to do that. No. Yeah. Um, and I, and I think there's Dave, a difference between a role and a personality. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. My, exactly my example right. dealt with a role limited by personality, <laughs> but that's a rare example. Yeah, it's it's you know it's there's something similar to for example when I'm. Uh, asked to play uh, a role that's a stretch from from myself. Uh, th- some actor said, I don't even know who, but maybe it was Kevin Spacey or something like that. He said that you need to find, it's not about acting the part that you're playing. It's not about, um, you know, this character's like this, so I'm going to do that, and I'm going to be like that, and I'm going to have those mannerisms. It's not about that. It's about finding the parts inside you that are that role and bringing that out. Bringing what's inside you that's already what that role needs and 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 sprucing that up. And I think it's, I think, you know, it's similar here. that You want to find something inside you that resonates. I mean, because otherwise, why why would you play a role that doesn't resonate with you? You're going to just right. be frustrated. Right. And, and I guess what it is is helping players to identify uh, things that will frustrate them. You know, I mean, and, and I don't know how you do that delicately, but like, you know, it's... Uh, I, I hate to say this, but the guy that played Timo, he died a lot until he hit on Timo Moss, and then this guy nearly can't be killed. Right. And it's not that he's so strong and he's so this and that. He's just he made a character that's very appropriate to uh, his personality, and um, well, not that Sam, he couldn't. Th- there's up? something you said last time you were on the show that really resonated with a lot of listeners and myself because I agree with it. You said, "Let them fuck up." Yes. Yep. If if they are going to, you know what? If this guy is making personality character decisions or build decisions that are getting him killed, let him die. Eventually, he'll hit on the right combination. Exactly. Right. That's and that's exactly what he did. That is exactly what he did. He experimented a lot until he found something that that not just worked but really worked. And uh, and again, here's the thing: in, in these games, especially in Saga Edition, thankfully they 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 didn't make it that easy to die. You can't just and I'm talking, you know, early editions of these of, of our favorite hobby <laughs> made it quite easy to die. So it should be said that a lot of his deaths occurred in rule sets that, it, yeah. you, you know, if you tripped. Not so accommodating. Not in, entirely accommodating. In, in Saga Edition, you have resources that you can use to keep yourself alive, which I think is appropriate. You know, you don't come off scot-free because you expended those resources. But, you know, destiny points and force points. But um, you're not, you're, the game isn't over for you. And, but... He is still more more successful. I mean, it, it it's um. What am I trying to say here? No, well, I, I, I'll throw in a point that I was going to make, and, and it's just the same thing. Is it, it's not to say that the guy, you know, uh, our friend who plays Timo Moss, 
should never play a Jedi no, because no. he's played a Jedi and failed. It's it's the finding. I, I I think he's finally hit upon again that that bond and that connection of having the the right, um, you know, the right attachment and 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 making the right decisions um, for the player you have. So can this guy play a Jedi? Yes. He's just not going to play the you know hundred year old wizened patient Jedi because it's just not his play style. And I think hitting upon that is is the key. It doesn't mean that he can't reach out or try different roles. Um, again, there's a difference between a role and a character. Well, and you know, or or you know, there's another way to look at it. When you have these experiences, you do get to. I mean, maybe he could play the wizened 100 year old Jedi now that he knows what's gone wrong in the past. You know, now that he sees that. But the question is, will he like doing it? Will he like all the patience that's required and the methodical thinking? Will Will that be something that he enjoys? And that's something that only he can answer. Um, so we're not saying limit your players, but but. You can't go wrong when you bring in elements of your personality or elements of your passion or, you know, elements of who you are as a person. You can't go wrong because that already has built in interest for you. So we're not saying don't stretch. We're saying make sure there's a yeah. good deal of you <laughs> in there. Yeah. Well, would that be, I guess, I mean, uh, kind of moving our discussion towards somewhat of a close, I guess, before we move into post-show. Yeah. If, if you had to summarize something a key element out of this discussion if you're if you're taking these experiences that you've had with these with with in particular these these three amazing characters with Cervantes with TK with Timo Mas um in and and you're you've seen the growth of your players and the growth of of their characters as a result what single piece of wisdom would you would you leave with the gamer nation in terms of building your game and building your character in this vein well you know so go ahead go ahead if, if you really try to believe in the circumstances and, uh, and the things that are happening, your character will eventually evolve toward you anyway. Yeah. Because it all, you know, <laughs> so I'm, 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 I'm putting out a lot of conflicting information. This <laughs> is all to be sorted through, and I guess that's what we're here to discuss. But, I mean, it's, it's if you really buy into it and really uh, believe in your character, believe in the characters around you, it's it's going to evolve toward you anyway. And that's really with Timo Moss. It's really more of what happened. I don't know that he knew who that guy was going to be when he started playing him, but this is who he became. Yeah, I, I would sort of second that theme and just say, seek seek to interact with those around you in the way that you interact with those around you. Yes. And and success, you know, will will likely come of that. And, and you will find that, yeah, your character in those interactions takes on the traits of yourself. Don't the yeah, ones it, the, the the traits you need. You could yeah. still play some exotic, weird version of yourself, but the ones you need to be successful will will kind of shine through. So, you know, and and then the mistakes you make, they won't be game enders. They'll be fun. Yeah, I mean, it's drama exactly. thing, things that add drama to the game rather uh, than destroy. Uh, a, a remember this moment instead of a God remember this moment. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Very nice. Well, TG, I mean. What, do do you have any final thoughts in terms of of, of you of, of your you know what something you can impart in your in your experience playing to a lot of the newer players out there? Well, I want to I want to somewhat balance what um, Sam and Chuck are saying. I I think y'all have excellent advice, and I think um, the to kind of say what you're saying to have the most fun with your character, put something of yourself in it. That way, you're still somewhat in your comfort zone, but the reason that we have books and stats is so that way 
we don't have to do everything that our character does. Yes. Um, so uh, still keep that in mind when you're trying to make a character. Okay, so you're not the most verbose person, but you want to create a noble. Okay, well, create a noble that has the ability to talk its way out of any kind of problem, even though that's not who you are, um, but put something else of you into that noble, uh, and you could still have fun with it. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Dave, any final thoughts on this? No. None? (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. No, not really. I mean... I think I've said pretty much. Wookie pulls out his vibroax. Yeah, Wookie pulls his vibroax. That's it. Wookie, Wookie pulls his vibroax. <laughs> he's, he's ready to charge into. And that's uh, perfect. Yeah. Cool. Well, this has been a, a fantastic discussion. I hope you guys are able to stick around for some post show. Um, yep. But once again, big thanks to to uh, Sam Whitwer and Chuck Hurstis for coming on and sharing a little bit more of uh, their own experiences with us. I know the Gamer Nation's really enjoyed having you guys on and really delving into a lot of this really fluffy stuff that is just a lot of fun to talk about and inspires others to build characters and game and continue with this hobby that we all love. And that's what it's about. So thank you, uh, chat room, Echo Base. For Pete's sake, how many people are in Echo Base, Dave? 155. 155 people watching in Echo Base currently. So thank you. Um, if you guys would like to reach us, of course, email gmchris at d20radio.com, gmdave at d20radio.com, goodness at d20radio.com. You can dial the LUSA line, which is what, Dave? 206-600-5872 or LUSA. 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 And you can, of course, get to the website d20radio.com. You can access the forums from there as well as all of the fine podcasts we have on this wonderful network. So once again, uh, next week is, is kind of still up in the air because I know, Dave, you're leaving Sunday night, aren't you, to go out of town? Yes, I am. You're flying in, what, Thursday night or Friday morning? I'm flying in Thursday night. I'll be, I'll be back in town Thursday night. I fly out tomorrow morning. I'll be back Thursday night. Maybe we can try and squeeze in a Sunday morning show, something to that effect, but we'll, we'll keep the Gamer Nation updated in any event on the forums. Right. Hey, and here's an open call. I'm free for the next four days. <laughs> Wow. Maybe I can go visit the bath cave. Jesus bathes. Oh dear. Well guys, thank you very much. This is GM Chris wishing you all peace, love, and good gaming. And keep them nice. Rolling. May they be full of the force. Hey guys, this is Commander 101 and
indeed. <sighs> we have a few uh, minutes for a short post show. But uh, post shows are always so fun. Post yes. shows are always so much fun. Okay, so this weekend um, uh, was the last weekend of the Texas State Fair. Texas State um, Fair. Which is a, a huge, massive, debaucherous event with more fried food than is actually Shake legal. a fist at. Good God. And it was also uh, the Cotton Bowl. Uh, the, you know, the stadium is located at Fair Park where they have the State Fair, right? Yes, and it was the, it was the big Texas uh, OU, Oklahoma University uh, football game, uh, the, the Red River shootout this weekend. Indeed so there were, what, TG? It was like how many thousands, thousands and thousands of people were hundreds. crammed in? Had to be hundreds. I mean, literally, you could not see more than a foot in front of you because you're surrounded. No, you couldn't. You couldn't see concrete because you were surrounded by crimson and or maroon and burnt, burnt orange. orange everywhere. Yeah, it's and crimson and green. People. Yep, crimson and cream, burnt orange and white. But anyway, the point of this story is we went out there with Brev and his wife. We had a great time. And um, the best part of it for me, the highlight, was that I got to try fried butter. <laughs> Whoa! Wow. Yeah. Now, no. Yeah. No uh, delicacy about that. No, there it's is no. Del- there was not intended. Now let me explain this. Okay, they take a pat of butter, a large pat of butter, and they freeze it, and then they batter it thickly in this very rather soft tempura batter, and they fry it. Now the process of frying, of course, melts the butter completely. They get it out and they serve it to you, and at this point. The tempura, as the butter melts, actually expands inward. And so what you have is just a giant ball of tempura dough that has been drenched from the inside out in melted butter. Delicious butter. Yes. It was... I, I was listening. I didn't expect it to be any good. I, I, I got it because I wanted to did say... It? Hey, I, I, oh, no, you're... I I you had no faith. Well, no, I was expecting like a stick of butter fried. I thought it was going to taste like ass. And then I get it and I try it just to say I tried it. And it was... Christ, it was good. Damn. Oh my god. And they had fried Oreos and fried s'mores <laughs> and and like oh my fried peanut I have, butter. I have and had a fried sandwich. Oreo. Fried, fried Oreos are good. Yeah, they, yeah, the fried peanut butter and jelly sandwich. That was phenomenal. Fried grilled cheese sandwich. <laughs> the fried grilled cheese. Yeah, they take an dipped, entire grilled cheese sandwich and fry it. In tomato sauce. Yeah. Oh. But you know, out of fried all of that fried yeah. goodness, the best of all of it cuz it got warm. It got pretty hot during the day. Um and we had Pack, we had gotten clothed pretty uh, it was warm cold in the morning. morning. Yeah, it was really cold in the morning. I can't speak this afternoon for some reason. Um, we got warm, and we're sitting there trying to cool off, and somebody walks by with a beer, and I just smelled it, and I was like, okay, what? <laughs> and what? Shiner Fog and Frito Pie. Oh, my God. It was so good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Jesus. I was like- done. Everything you guys have brought up sounds like some fourth grader's idea of what food should be. We can't all, you know, order sushi takeout, okay? Uh, <laughs> whoa, whoa. This is the guy who just, understand, I just lost my shit uh, a few weeks ago when I was at Target and saw that they were selling the trilogy yes, of, deliciousness. of deliciousness. Count Chocula, Blueberry, and Frankenberry all there on the shelves. <laughs> all <laughs> the so... I am not judging. I'm not <laughs> judging. Fruity Pebbles are the best. Yep. I don't know. Yeah. Listen, is, is it horribly, oh. terribly unhealthy? Yes. Is it a once a year thing? Yes. Yep. Um, but yeah, 
it, it's always, always interesting. They had fried lattes. I'm not lying. They had fried Coke last year. Yeah, they had fried Coke last this year. year. <laughs> yeah. So, and and all, they just take like fried chicken, <laughs> scrape off the skin, and put it in Coke and go, here, here, drink it. <laughs> no, they, literally, they take the liquid. This year it was latte. Last year it was Coke. They freeze it into a solid ball, batter it, and fry it. Jesus. Yep. <laughs> the, the technology behind this. Yeah, is we did not have the technology even ten years ago. Liquid years. nitrogen. Yeah. 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 Literally, there's there's tubes that, like for the latte, they've got tubes of liquid nitrogen, just big canisters sitting <laughs> sitting in the booth. I'm not joking. Oh and the head of Walt Disney. <laughs> 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 and the T1000. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Can I, can I have a moment to bitch about the T1000? T1000 advanced prototype. <laughs> okay. So they established. Okay, speaking as a Star Wars fan who, who, although he doesn't always follow it, at least understands and respects canon. Um, okay, so in the first film, James Cameron outlines this set of rules for time travel. Okay, yes. that you can only send back things that are organic. You Nothing can't send back. Goes. No, exactly, exactly. You can't. But you say, well, if if the machine got through, if it's a machine, how did it get through? Because it was encased in human tissue. Okay, how in God's name did they send back the T one thousand? Maybe. I think maybe the technology that allowed them to create the T-1000. No, but it was Vince's prototype. <laughs> it was, uh, T-1000 was a last-ditch thing from Skynet, or at least they lead you to believe that that was sent out at the same time the original Schwarzenegger Terminator was sent out. That it was another one sent out at a different time. Last, it, was, it was as far as Skynet got, it was Vince's prototype. That's right. Liquid metal. Um, but, so, no. But, how, but, thought, how, but it's not organic. How can it go through? It's not organic. So, yeah, and even if it's in, in human form... That's not organic. No. No. I'm never watching that movie again. Fuck that movie. Fuck that movie. And then and then the whole point of two, which shaped part of my childhood, it was a great film in my childhood, um, was that the idea of no fate. The idea is you know what, the future is nothing but what you make it. Okay. Yes. And that was the theme of the movie. And yeah, then just wait. Yep. and then they release two other really? films that basically <laughs> say, ah, uh, sort of fate. I mean there's fate. You know what? There's no fate but what McGee makes it. Right, yeah, <laughs> dude, dude, that movie. I love how McGee. Oh, jeez. There's this. You know, they actually have a line in the, in the new movie. Uh, you know, you got to go around during the day. You know, uh, wait. In the original Terminator, they said you have to move around at night. Night, and exactly. and the humans are living like feral rats. There's that that great shot of those kids watching television in the underground bunker, and then you reverse on the television, and it's just a fire in a television case. Like, they're freezing. They have no food. Right. When, when someone asks uh, Kyle Reese, you know, Kyle Reese, did you ever have anyone? Ask him if he had already, ever had a girlfriend, and he has no idea what she's talking about. He's like, what, what were the women like in your time? Good fighters. Well, no, no. I mean, was there, was there anyone? And then he's just kind of like, you know, he's trying to try process, and he goes, no, never. And you're like, and then suddenly, this new Terminator film, it's all during the day. There's giant Transformers running around. And there's lines like, it's hard to find good guys these days. There's, there's lines like, you have a strong heart. For fuck's sake, you're amateur. Yeah, I know. It's, lines like that, how can you not appreciate it? Yeah, so like all these, it's like, it's like Mero's place in the future after the bomb. And... You know, it, it, it just wasn't even Terminator. What happened to the feral fight, you know, right. feral humanity fighting to survive? Like, you know, it's, uh, oh boy, don't I'll, give I'll, me. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what happened. They, 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 they fucked up Christian Bale's scene. That's what happened. Exactly. Dude. <laughs> and, and even Christian Bale, like, like, amateur. 
Amateur. Oh, good. <laughs> um, so Christian Bale, I love that there's a scene, and again, who knows? They could have directed him. I, I think he's a quite talented actor. Um, but there's this great scene where he's in the middle of a hangar, and there's people walking everywhere, like soldiers, and they're getting ready to do this attack. And Michael Ironside is on the phone on the other line, and Christian Bale's talking to Michael Ironside, and he's in the middle of the hangar. This guy's walking around. And he's like, "We got to abort the mission." And Michael Ironside's like, "No, no, we're doing the mission. We have to abort. This is a big trap." No, no, we're staying the course. Stay the course. And then Christian Bale goes, we can't stay the course. We have to abort the mission. No, you're not an abort If we don't abort, we're all dead. Dead. And I'm just like, you know, morale. Like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, wait a minute. Like, the people walking and bringing equipment to the helicopters are like, so Commander uh, Connors <laughs> seems to think we're going to die. We're all dead. Yeah. <laughs> not so good about this mission anymore. Ooh, uh, we're dead. <laughs> So that's a way to defuse any situation at all. I'm going to use that in the office, like next week when I'm on site. It's like you know, yeah. It's like we're, we listen. We really need to get this developed for for the one A delivery. It's like no, no. We have to push back to April. We're all going to die. We're all going to die. And they'll pro- it'll probably work, Dave. It'll probably work, wouldn't it? Uh, I don't know if you can say we're all going to die, but if you say if you say the government's going to come and take away our tarp money, then they oh! might. Oh, yeah. There you go. Yeah. That's awesome. We build bank software, boys and girls. <sighs> and we do a damn good job of it, I might add. Yes, we do. Oh, I love it. TG, you're being conspicuously quiet. Yeah. Or inconspicuously as she's trying to make it. Uh, for, 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 for TG, quiet is conspicuous. Has Kat already slid in there and killed her? Yeah. No, she's working on it, though. I requested a slow one because I figured it'd be more enjoyable coming from her. There you go. (laughs) She can drown you at this point. Absolutely. Drowning is a horrible way to go. Well, it depends on what you drown in, really. (laughs) Chris, did you say pressing? Yes, pressing. That that sucks, too. That sucks, that sucks very much like, too. like a vice. That's the part of the story I left. Well, no, they, they, this, this is a method of execution you see back in the day. They would throw a board on top of you and pile it with stones until you were dead. Really? Yeah, they, that was how they got witch confessions at one point. They would yes. put this board on top of you and, and say, "Are you a witch?" And you go, "No." And they'd put another rock on the board. How about now? No. So Are you a witch? Witch? <laughs> how about now? Here's another rock. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no. Do and you then, how about now? Well, I'm a witch who's I'm not a witch, but it, it does hurt. Right. I'll give you that much. Um, <laughs> And then, and then what was it? If you, if and then I think if you died from that, you were innocent. You yeah, right, <laughs> like, right. No, he wasn't a witch. Didn't confess, but Let you were go. Dead. It was like, well, obviously we made a mistake here. Yeah, exactly. Sorry about that. Let him go. I mean, you know, like he's not going anywhere, but just <laughs> right. Yep. Get that, get that board and those rocks off, for Christ's sake. <laughs> That's right. right. He's not a witch. Just like grape. Karate, <laughs> 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 yes. Karate do no. You karate guess Guess so. Just like great. I always always die. You know who's an awesome character that doesn't get enough? We don't talk about him enough. Who's that? Sato from Karate Kid 2. (laughs) 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 Dear homes, dear church, everything gone. He's like a a death metal singer, you know? Coward. 
I think he was in about 87 of their uh, kung fu action movies later on, like in the 80s. All the really bad ones with like Billy Blanks and Cynthia Rothrock. <laughs> Cynthia <laughs> Rothrock. Awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, fantastic stuff. Papa Johnny. <laughs> Papa Johnny. Uh, best of the best. Best, the best of the best was, wow. Best no. of- James wow. Earl Jones is no. Jeez. Uh, good stuff. <laughs> uh, I saw a movie recently that just needs to be discussed. Any of you guys see a movie recently that just absolutely we need to call out as good or terrible? Uh, yeah. Yes, I need to call out as absolutely terrible surrogates. Ah, oh. interesting. What happened, dude? What went wrong? Uh, the whole freaking movie was wrong. <laughs> I mean, right. okay. it, the, plot, the plot looked interesting. It, it it merged in virtual reality and um, surrogates and Bruce Willis with a bad wig. And, and, yeah, I mean, seriously, it was it was um, after about five minutes, you got the whole premise and <laughs> you pretty much had the whole plot figured out and you knew what was going to happen at the end. You knew who the bad guy was, and it was it it just was boring after that, and it was just Aww. it was basically people living a life that they could live because they could choose what their surrogate looked like, and they didn't ever have to go out of the house, and so they all wound up being weak and completely useless. Awesome, yeah, like Wally. No, Wally uh-huh. was good, dude. And I'm guessing so that at the point where there actually was a physical threat, no one was equipped to deal with it. Other no. than Bruce Willis. No. Well, Bruce Willis is not equipped to deal with anything. I mean, no. <laughs> no, there was no physical threat. The, the deal basically was that the guy that created the surrogates destroyed all the surrogates. Oh. And, ah, so okay. then it forced the people to come out into the sun again. Ah. Uh-huh. Oh, oh, wow. Wow. Uh. And like no one had made suntan lotion for ages and they all burned. Mm. I- immediately, as a matter of fact, <laughs> they all just vaporized. <laughs> Yes. I, I actually saw a movie. Uh, here, here you go. I saw Cloudy with the Chance of Meatballs. Oh, hey. <laughs> I saw that movie. Uh, I actually, and I actually, here's the thing. I, I thought it was okay, but I understand why, like, Disney Pixar probably beats Sony's ass when it comes to, like, animated films. Yeah. Yeah. Because I thought it was, I thought the entire movie was almost completely adult themed. Like many so, of the jokes, like and not even like in a in a blue sort of adult way, but just that like things only an adult's gonna understand. I couldn't see myself going as a kid to that and actually enjoying it as anything other than like, oh look, there's bright colors and you right. know, cartoony action. Right. Unlike so, Disney Pixar, which balances that very well. Yeah, yeah they they actually do. Do a why did great you job. go to that one instead of um where the wild things are? Uh, I, don't, I don't know that it was out at the time. Oh, okay. I, I, that but came out what Friday? Came out Friday. Yeah. Yeah. This was this was last. We needed somewhere to to take my kid, so we went to go see that. And I, I well, have yeah. to say, it was not you know, it was very adult thing. I was kind of surprised. Well, are you going to take your kid to see where the wild things are? Because I've read some reviews saying that it's it's kind of dark and more adult than it is kid. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think he might be freaked out by it. Yeah. Let's, let's listen to Top Talk. Hey, what, well, what kind of diapers do you use? Um, but yeah, I, I actually I, I kind of read the same thing, and I, I don't I think he would be freaked out by it. He has a, a monster thing right now, but um, oh. but again, yeah, another you know kids 
or being sold as a kid's movie when it's probably not. I want to, well, all the, rev- all the reviews I've read, if like, okay, and listen, they talked to uh, Maurice Sendak, the guy who wrote the original book, right? And they asked him, I said, you know, do you think this is, and he was intimately involved with the creation, apparently, of the film, and they asked him, do you think this is too scary for children? And he was pretty inflammatory about it. He was like, you know, any parent who thinks this is too scary should just go home and shoot themselves in the face or you know, something like that. Was, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, literally, he was, he was like, it was, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Oh, blah, blah. He, was, he was very, very inflammatory about it. But everything I've, everything I've read, even from the, from the critics, I generally agree with, okay, because it's not many I do. Um, they, they've said this, the same effect, like, look, it's not so much that it's going to scare your kid because there's nothing. They, they actually, the, the initial testing, like, said it actually scared some kids, so they did a massive re-edit, and they let, let, left a lot of stuff on the cutting room floor. And they said, you know, it's not so much that it's going to scare your kid, but there's so much of it that it's, it's going to bore them. They're going to be, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, got, like, <laughs> great, it's like got great effects, and it's, it's like similar to what you're saying with Cloudy and Chance of Meatballs. Yeah, there's bright things that, for them to laugh at, but in terms of the nuances of the plot, it's very adult-themed. Mm. Um, in terms of, of how complex it is. is but is, is it Shrek right? like that too? I mean, no, in Shrek... Because was Shrek's got jokes that kids can enjoy. That's, yeah. the, that's the beauty of it. I don't know, because there's a lot of jokes in there that kids, uh, they really honestly don't know what they're laughing at. No, they're there's laughing not. But because they, it's obvious that it's a joke, but they don't really understand. Like the whole wait. Starbucks being across the street. Do you really think a four-year-old gets that? No, but that's but they're still going to yeah, laugh. They're still going to laugh. Four-year-olds yeah. around the corner at my Starbucks. Yeah, exactly. Four-year-old latte. Um, you know what it is? is you, in, in Shrek, you have... I, mean, I don't Actually, I know nothing about where the wild things are at, but in Shrek, I think they're probably responding to... You got Eddie Murphy. You know, he's talking like this. It's Eddie Murphy. You know, and you got uh, Mike Myers, and everyone's doing voices, and it's like it's just interesting to kids, yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, I, I was going to say, somebody in time just said fart jokes. And that's exactly yeah, what that, that was the it's first thing that came to mind. You know, bodily fluids. Yeah. 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 Yay, yay, yay farts! They're in the, they're in the <laughs> chat room. Yay farts! Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's just what we need. Another fart titled episode. Oh, oh, got to steer away. At, at this point, I was going for the flight of the emotional tampons. <laughs> the flight of the emotional tampons, dude. That's it, though. Oh. No one can ever come up with anything better than that. The flight. I don't know. All, all of the chat room, give it a give it a go. <laughs> <laughs> Flight of the emotional tampons. <laughs> Look at that! You've already got a song going. So, so like that—that's a great name for a band. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm I'm just throwing that out there. The ETs, <laughs> call them the ETs. Hey, for short. We're, we're flight of the emotional tampons. <laughs> Freaking absorb that. You know? <laughs> that's that's the first album t- title. Absorb that. Absorb that. Hey, hey! Did you guys see Anvil? The story of Anvil. Uh-huh. Yes. Do you guys see that? No. What, what is this? Dude. An- Anvil was is like a like a metal band. Oh, oh, Anvil. Yes. Okay, I thought you said Advil. <laughs> Advil was <laughs> for him. I was like, what the hell is that? Is it a documentary I'm missing? Headaches for years, and no one ever gives us any respect. Just saying, you're going to need one of us when we're done with you. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, yes, I know who Anvil is. So there's wow. this documentary about Anvil, I take it? Oh, fuck yeah. How do you know who Anvil is if you haven't seen the documentary? I haven't seen the documentary, but I've heard of Anvil. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't tell you a song they did, but I've heard of them. It's, it's, I mean, the, the key to it is it's like these two guys, I believe, said that just like no matter what, we're going to do this. We're going like, to make Until it. we're successful, we're, we're just going to do it. These and, guys started playing together when they were like in eighth grade, and they're, they've been together playing in Anvil. And they're now in their 50s. Good and, like, all the big metal bands, when, like, metal was a thing, the Anthrax and Metallica and, you know, 
all of those bands like cite these guys as being the real deal. Like, yeah, like these guys were awesome. Huge influence. They were the awesome time, and like they Why had that whole wave and never caught it. They never caught it. Like for they 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 have all like you know Lars Ulrich going I. I do not have an explanation for why they didn't make it to the next level, why they didn't become a huge hit. Yeah, and they just never did. But like, but they still, I mean, ever since then, they've been playing. They're like in their fifties now, playing never the same stopped. types yeah. of metal. And they do it. Uh, they do a, a, a documentary following these guys around on a tour, uh, a less than successful tour, <laughs> right? Through Europe and a whole bunch of other stuff, but it's. it's but uh, yeah, and uh, of course, ironically, the fact that they have persisted and not been successful and successful and got a documentary made about them because they're not successful has makes made them, them success successful. Right. So yeah, they are actually fighting away. Not to mention the fact that it's they're they're good. They're good at what they do. It's not yeah. it's not that these guys are hacks, but it's like a real version of Spinal Tap. Yes. Yeah. It's exactly what it is. Yeah. Wow. Interesting, interesting watch if you, if you're into that. And really colorful. I, I want to call them characters, but they're people. The, the guy, yeah. The guys are, you know. Okay, now I, you guys know Brev is a huge movie buff. He runs the whole Cinematic Attic podcast on the forum. <laughs> I, I was about there. to cue up their theme music. We were talking about movies. Oh, it's, there you go. Um, <laughs> uh, but so the he was telling me about this um, this this documentary he saw. I think it was called like turn up the volume or pump up the volume it was about like the, the history of the electric guitar no oh, i hadn't no, heard of it no, no. um crap and it was like like it was it it, it stars um uh, jimmy page uh jack white of, of the white stripes and um uh, uh the edge uh, wow yeah and it's it brev brev said it was he went to go see it said it was phenomenal wow, wow. and it's it's you know there's, there's a bunch of scenes with the three of them just jamming sitting there jamming and they and they filmed it, and he said it was like he said it was hilarious because we're talking we're talking we're talking about the edge, okay. Regardless of your feelings <laughs> of you two, it's you two, okay. Yeah, it's you two. So this is, we're talking about the edge. We're talking about Jack Jack White, who is I, I would hazard to say a fairly successful musician at this point. <laughs> um, and these guys are watching Jimmy Page play guitar, and the look Brev, Brev said the look on their faces. It was like it was like Santa was there. <laughs> <laughs> G giving giving them all gifts, and uh, just just look at adoration and just utter. I, I don't know. I, I really want to go see it after his review of it. So, you guys have seen American movie uh, and uh, what's the other one? And of course, King of Kong. Right? You guys have seen those two. King of Kong. I've seen King of Kong, but not the other one. Oh, American movie. You you have to see this. This is about. Speaking of. Uh, awesome documentaries. It's very similar to Anvil in that it's a guy who is absolutely obsessed with creating his movie, with creating his um, American classic. And it's this guy in Wisconsin, and he's incredibly entertaining to watch. He's kind of a very colorful individual, and his friends who help him out, and he's, you know, in his, you know, he's like 36 or something like that at that point, and he's, he's still trying to, to make it as a filmmaker. Um, you got to see it. I don't want to give too much away, but there's just, you know, classic lines in which, you know, again, aren't lines. These are things that people actually said, but it's uh, really unbelievable, really great and inspiring too. If you've ever, for anyone that's ever tried to accomplish anything, you can really walk into this guy and his, his quest. Cause he's absolutely, at first he's a big joke. You know, you kind of look at him and you're laughing at him cause he's kind of not very well spoken. He's like, Hey, we're just going to make this movie. That's what we're going to do. We're going to go out there and make this movie. That's what we do. And, uh, you watch him, and at first he's kind of funny and laughable, but as you see how damned persistent he is, you really start to respect him. 
you really start to go, wow, this guy is uh this guy's got something that, that a lot of people don't have. Stick to itiveness. And, and how has that made you a better GM? Um stick to it? Yes. Stick to it. Do it. Do it. Right, it's voices. I copy the characters from the. By the way, I got I found I found the name of that documentary. It's uh, it it might get loud. It might get loud. Okay, I have I've heard of that. Yeah, it's I called it's called, it's called it might get loud, um, and it, apparently it took away a bunch of crap at the at, at can this year. So, mm-hmm. dude. Yeah. <sighs> so. <laughs> what is that? That's like Yoda, Yoda, Yoda Pacino. Yoda, Yoda, Pacino. <laughs> Yoda, Yoda uh, I think we should call it Yoda Chino. So what's what Yoda Pacino? The dark side clouds everything. <laughs> Impossible to see. And futures. The futures. It's like somewhere, be- I don't know, somewhere between Yoda and Pacino. Yes. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, dear. I don't know what's going on anymore. I don't know either. Yes. Yes, oh, it's done. It's done. I think it's time to, uh, to 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 bring to a close. Unless we have any more witty witty repartee. Dave oh. TG, do you have any witty repartee to bring to the table this fine evening? No. <laughs> <laughs> wow, decisive. Done. Yeah, what? Yeah, that's what yeah. she is. She she's she's over there nodding off, just waiting. She's waiting. For, <laughs> she's waiting for the kill shot to come in, a sniper from two miles away. Bang! <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it, she, you got a point. Like this, I, I, we did it. And for all you in the chat room, we did it. We're, we're, we're all tired, aren't we? Yes. We're pretty worn out. <laughs> Thank you for hanging around. Thanks everyone. for hanging around, guys. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thank you for hanging around, G of Dave, G of Chris. Yeah, and thank DG. you guys for hanging around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and we'll be back uh, with episode eighty-five, uh, the Sam Whitworth show, <laughs> next week. Uh, you're, look, you're, look, you guys knew the risk when you got into this. That's right. No, <laughs> no we, 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 fully, we fully expected it. this. It, it, it turned out to be nothing less than what we anticipated and, and were hoping for. <laughs> so, you guys uh, have some Red Bulls for the drive to work tomorrow? You're good. Hey, man, I got a, I got a 6 a.m. flight. Yeah. Oh, That's <sighs> it's yes. going to be fun. It is. After all, well, I'm, I mean... I'm yeah. shooting stuff. Does that make does it make it better for me for having wasted your time? I mean, at least... <laughs> At least yeah. I'm, I'm going to suffer, too. So, you know. Uh, so. Yes! Yeah. <laughs> yes! A dark side! This is what happens when you get too tired, folks. It's not even funny, but it's funny. Yeah. yeah okay, I'm, I'm assuming you've seen the old Saturday Night Live sketch where Kevin Spacey was hosting, and it was like the Star Wars casting calls that didn't go well. Yeah, 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 totally. <laughs> Totally. You know, Barbara Streisand auditioning for Leia and Chris so, Walken is Han Solo. Can I blow your mind? Uh, two years before that SNL thing, that was my answering machine message. It was Kevin's because I knew that that uh, that Chris Walken had auditioned for Han Solo. So I, on my answering machine, it was Han Solo auditions and it was Chris Walken in that same speech. <laughs> and two years later, uh, that was on SNL. Same exact thing. So They copied you. You should sue. Yeah, I, I doubt it. I think they're doing just fine. But I'll <laughs> sue them anyway. Yes. You sue them anyway. Yeah. But it was really, literally the exact same joke. It was the it was an audition sequence. I played the, you know, uh, next role, you know, and Christopher Walken, and he comes in and does the exact same speech. Only I did it better. Of course. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Spacey does a good walk-in. It's not bad. My, my, no, he sucks. <laughs> <laughs> he sucks. 
you know, yeah, yeah just time been... to time to pull the string on this tampon, guys. <laughs> oh! Ah, 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 <laughs> <wow>. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, as the woman in the official hole of this show, <laughs> I'm a I'm offended, Chuck. Oh, wow! wow. It took you... this long. <laughs> Wow. Okay, so we're pulling the string, boys. You guys, thank you very thank much. Thank you, guys. Uh, thank you very much for joining us, uh, listeners and uh, chat room guys. Thank you very much for allowing us to invade your personal space. Thanks, guys. That's thank right. you. You guys stay hard. Keep jabbing. We'll see you. Stay hard? <laughs> <laughs>